So how do we start a, 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 an American, a Brit, and a Russian walk into a bar? <laughs> okay, so a Russian, an American, and a British person walk into a bar. What is this, some kind of joke? Hell no. It's Back. <laughs> what episode is it? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's our autumn episode. Uh, you know, if you noticed, I didn't actually put like. Isn't this this episode October? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or episode fall? Yeah, autumn. <laughs> autumn. Autumn. Oh, look, I'm I'm practicing my British. Speaking of which, I've got a question for you, Bill. Um, if you have two weeks together, do you refer to that as two weekly or fortnightly? Uh, n- neither. Okay, what do you fit to us? I, I, I tend not to. I tend to... <laughs> two weeks. I refer to it as a long vacation. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a rumor that apparently in the US you don't use the word fortnight. Uh, no, no. Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Oh, bi-weekly. Every other week. But see, I always get that wrong, right? So, so we don't... No, we don't use fortnight. Fortnight is like when... That's how you describe... What happens when a bunch of kids have a sleepover in the living room? It's four. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, but, you know, semi-weekly, semi-monthly, bi-weekly. Yeah, I don't know. Is bi-weekly every two weeks or is it twice a week? I, I, I never get it right. So This is quality podcasting, you know. This is awesome yeah. podcasting. This is what people are tuning in. <laughs> Right. Uh, just want to point out, there is a podcast out there that one of my co-hosts on another podcast actually got on so that they could discuss who is Richard Maidley. Who is Richard I guarantee, Maidley? I don't know, because this was a bunch of British guys. I figured you would know who he was. Andre? <laughs> I'm going to Google him. Okay, carry on. <laughs> well, basically, as you noticed, I haven't actually done my usual uh, cheesy introduction as I you know, do that is true. We 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 need we need Matrix quotes. Yes, mm. which I ha- which I rewatched the other week. Such a good film. I forgot how good it was. Mm. It really is. Then I watched the second one, third one, and I kind of wish I did. About it's been about ten years since I've seen them last. I kind of thought it's been long enough. Maybe it should be. You know, maybe they maybe with time <laughs> they've aged it better. Oh no. But anyway, I've been listening to some introductions from Who Cares Who Wins, and that made me feel so totally unworthy. And <laughs> You know, I want to say they do a good job, and had you oh, got... He's the guy from yes. Richard and Judy. Oh, that... <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's Richard. <laughs> so for those listening, yes, Richard Madeley is a TV presenter. He does um, a TV, like a TV morning thing, a, you know, Good Morning Britain type program. And apparently he's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's he, <laughs> he's got a very clever knack that he um, has a habit of making. Now, bear in mind, this is like you know a eleven o'clock, you know ten o'clock TV program, and he managed and he presents it with his wife Judy. Okay. And they always manage to get dirty jokes in, but they mask it so only an adult will actually get the joke. So it's really good innuendo. Exactly. That's exactly. Yes. 
Okay, so subject to the, uh, this episode subject is Kickstarters. And, and all the or kicking a dead horse, according to Richie. Everyone just goes Kickstarter to death by now. Come on. I'm thinking conversation. I haven't done a single Kickstarter. I only done one uh, Indiegogo, and that's. But so we'll get to that because I'm curious about that. But but I, first, I want to I want to cover because you me- you mentioned this when we were doing all the prep, Richie. Mm. Do you really feel like everybody has discussed Kickstarter to death, or do you just listen to Mike Marshall with the four podcasts he put out where he whinges and whines about it? I do. See, look, whinge. I used a Britishism. <laughs> <laughs> My English is getting better. <laughs> Fist bump for you over there. Okay, um, I do listen to Mike Marshall. I love his work. I think he's very, very entertaining person. And I, yes, he, him and his his cast have talked a lot about it. And they themselves make a joke about how it is, you know, done ad nauseum. But at the same time, I mean, you know, um, you guys have done, on, on Games Lounge, you've done a lot of talk about podcasts, about um, um, Kickstart. But more yep. importantly, a lot of the blogs I read about talk about them and, they, and um, as well there's um, oh what was it um, there was the podcast done by a friend of mine um, and Wiseman who did Soulstorm Train back in the day and again they used to talk quite a lot about Kickstarter and it was more 2011-2012 when it was released on Takeoff and everyone was talking about it an awful lot then especially in the written form as well as the audio form and it started to pitter off now because it's no longer the new hotness it's just another form of retail, basically. So because of that, it's just no one cares. So, so that's fair. I, okay, I, I, I can I can see where you're coming from. Three years ago, it was a hot topic. It, it's I, I kind of wonder, I, I still feel like a lot of people care, right? Um, the very fact that we're talking about it and it came up as a topic, and we we had a lot to, to sort of, do. yeah, we have a lot we can discuss about this, yeah. and we will be. Even Andre, who hasn't done a Kickstarter and has only done the Indiegogo, well, I think there's a lot of opinions, right? The friends who did draw a lot of Kickstarters, <laughs> right? And 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 it kind of goes back to, you know, I for me it comes back to two sides, right? I spend a lot of time looking at why do I do Kickstarters. And how well do I think Kickstarters are doing? How well how are they progressing? Now, to be fair, I look at it from two standpoints. I listen to podcasts that are dedicated to Kickstarter, even till today, but they're about the business side of Kickstarter, right? And 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 it's the gaming business, but it's the how do you get a Kickstarter up and running? How do you do the right things? Where is the important role of Kickstarter being played? You know, what What kind of role, why is it an important role uh, to gaming in general? And then I also listen to shows like Game Punting, which are a vacuum cleaner to my wallet because they talk about, um, you know, here's all the new things this two-week period that have come out on Kickstarter we think is cool, and then I run over and, you know, apply wallet to Internet and go broke. So, yeah, I... And then there's the other side, right? There's sort of the topic that you guys had brought up, which I mean, Richie, you you were very uh, you were very adamant about Kickstarter is important to support new companies, not just to get a bucket of miniatures. That's my opinion. And I still think that's a valid topic. Yeah. And then of course there's you know the grumpy groups who talk about Kickstarter's bad because 
everybody gets a bucket of miniatures, boo-hoo-hoo, uh, they're going to take forever to to deliver, and everybody's going to give me rustic. Yeah. Right? So, and, and really, when I listen, I mean, I hate to say it. I don't hate to say it. I'm happy to say it. When I listen to those arguments, I think there's a couple of kernels of, of good information in there, and then it boils down to boo-hoo-hoo, everybody uses rustic because it's going to get me miniatures at a cost. I'm willing to spend. I don't like rustic. Okay. I, you know, I appreciate that. We get it. You don't like Rustic. Bill, <laughs> how many Kickstarters did you do? Yeah, see, I knew that question was going to come up. <laughs> okay. Are we talking only gaming? Or is it you or my friend who does more? <laughs> Gary. I, you know, I think I'll be interested to hear. Um, well, I should share my screen, too, but... So... Kickstarter. Can I just pause one second? If, 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 if anyone's listening and they hear any weird discussion, for the first time, normally we do this just by audio. At the moment, we're actually doing this with um, video video for the first time. So if they mention like that, like saying my sharing screen, that's what's going on. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> oh, no problem. So, so Kickstarter has this, has what I find kind of interesting. They actually will give you a breakdown of your overall what you back, where it all sort of pans out, um, what your profile is, you know. So, for example, I am split in the different areas that Kickstarter has. They have sort of a wheel, and I am primarily split. I have backed technology projects, music projects, and games, of which I have one technology project one music project, and of the 32 projects I've backed, 30 of them are games. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> so you say that. Now, they have hidden this other little gem on Kickstarter, and I still have some links I saved off. So I will go point out, here's a fun one. A name that we may all recognize. Nathan Caroland. Oh. One of the owners of Weird has backed six projects, and I can tell you which ones they are. <laughs> right? Meanwhile, on the other side, you have um, another good friend of mine. Um, he's backed 61 projects. Bloody hell. Right? But he also runs, he's, he's one of the hosts of Game Punting. Right? <laughs> so, so when you look at sort of these different, I mean, you know, I think my 32 comes in kind of moderate. Do I blow away <laughs> people who have done, you know, six, eight, and ten projects? Yeah. Because my friend did little over a dozen. But, uh, you know, that's to you, yeah. but, you know, probably tiny to you. <laughs> did you say a thousand? No, he said a dozen. Oh, a dozen. What? <laughs> no, you're kidding me. <laughs> a thousand projects. Sorry, I missed it. I was coughing at the time. So. I, I'm, I'm quite poor. I've, I've <coughs> sorry. Um, I've done one category, so all of them are gaming, and seven projects in total. However, of those seven projects, one, two, three, four, four of those seven were unsuccessful. <laughs> okay. That's right, I may be a bit of a bad penny for these guys. Actually, Gary just uh, had a, a Kickstarter which was just taken down. It was um, a game called uh, Allison Road. Oh, I was all over that. I'm so disappointed. I mean, okay, it's good in a way, but it's bad. It looks such a good game. 
it looks amazing, but they needed to do a playable demo. You know what? Yeah, and that's what I wonder. The Kickstarters you guys are backing, like Richard, you just said, you know, all the Kickstarters you've done have failed, or, or a couple of them you've done have failed, not all of them. I also have four that were unsuccessful or canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I take that back. I'm sorry. I canceled one of my pledges on one of them, and it's still in progress. Um, when I look at what I have today, one, two, three, four, I have five active Kickstarters that I'm in right now that haven't closed yet. One of those, they've already announced the fact they're going to cancel it. It's not going to go all the way through. Yeah. They didn't believe they're going to get funding. They have to retool and come back. Yeah. One of them, I had backed. It had successfully funded, and then they canceled it after successful funding. Because they wanted to restructure what they were doing on their Kickstarter, and they just relaunched it, so I jumped right back in. Yeah. And then the other ones, a couple of them, for me, are no-brainers. But they kind of fall into what I think you're going to say is an egregious abuse. Not just an abuse, but an egregious abuse <laughs> of Kickstarter. So we'll come back to that. But I wonder it. So let me ask you this. When you look at – can you see differences as a backer? Between the projects that you backed that failed or canceled and the projects you backed that were successful? Personally, yes. Virtually every one of them that has been unsuccessful, either where they, they've just failed to... I mean, actually, let me think. Was I've got, out of the four, three of them... No, two of them have been unsuccessful. Two of them were canceled, but would have been unsuccessful. Okay. So, you know, but that was just kind of, you know, we want to end and we want to say that, you know, we cancelled it, not so you didn't get the money, even though they wouldn't have. And Actually, there's a bigger reason than that. Um, this And this comes from listening to a couple of business side podcasts about Kickstarter. If you cancel your own project, when people search, those don't show up unless they specifically search for those projects. Ah. So they don't show up as unsuccessful, where if you let it fail, then when somebody searches for your name... It will list they had three successful Kickstarters and two failures. I see. So, you know, canceling it, it just says they had three successful Kickstarters. Mm. Mm. So it's actually kind of an important business choice to cancel your Kickstarter if you're going to fail. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think in virtually all of these cases, the problem I've seen from... Now, this may be the fact that, you know, everyone considers themselves an expert in business. Everyone says, I know how to do it. I can do it better. But in my view, I look at the ones that have failed, and I see that, in general, either their PR was either non-existent, or they missed the boat in a couple of vital areas. Okay. Um, Alison Road was one of them. Their PR was almost non-existent. The product was a fantastic product. I don't know. From what I heard, basically someone asked them to take it down, offered them money to basically to make the game. The game is still... They weren't going to make the money, though. That's the thing. They were... They had about... Um, it was something very small. They had something like... Um, mm. I think it was like six days to go, less than four days to go, and they were only a third funded. They mm. weren't going to get the other two thirds, thirds in the remaining time. It was not going to happen. And this is the, uh, it was by Lilith? Yes. Allison, okay. Yeah. That's right. The thing is, this game was supposed to be, like, very similar to the latest Silent Hills game, which never got out. Yes, well, not so much the game, but the demo for it. It was referred to as PT, uh, available on the PS4 exclusively. And the video for this game looked amazing. It's first-person survival. 
type of thing that was made very popular after games like uh, Amnesia and Alien Isolation, these sort of survival <laughs> horror from a first-person view. Don't like those sort of games. <laughs> yeah. I love them. I do them all on my stream. They're fantastic. I um, actually, I, I phoned my friend Gary at one point, and then I just heard them like really screaming in there. It's like, what's going on? And goes, oh no, my friend is playing this, or my brother's playing this demo. See, I don't, I don't know enough about the video game side of Kickstarter and video games compared to other games. Video games are expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, so, I don't know, really. Miniature games are expensive to produce as well. But okay, so here's a difference, right? I'm looking at this: two hundred fifty thousand pounds. Yeah. Compared to Guild Ball, right? Full blown, full blown. Yeah, you're right there. That was, I think, that was thirty k, wasn't it? I think. Right. So they can at least get their first teams at the basis, and then sometimes the miniature games will blow up, and you'll get, you know, I mean, you look at there's a game right now, Scythe Online, which is the miniature board game that um, Jamie Stegmeyer is putting out, Mm -hmm. uh, Stonemaier Games. He was only looking for so much, you know, I mean, God, what was he looking for originally? Um, I mean, they're so far beyond funded. They were originally looking for, uh, clickety, clickety, clickety here. They were originally looking for $33,000, and this is a massive, heavy board game with a ton of miniatures. Mm-hmm. And because of popularity and how he does everything, they've already blown past a million bucks. You know, so you take that down, you know, the the 1.6 off, I mean, you convert that into pounds, it's still, I mean, you look at how far over they are. Mm-hmm. So some of these games go crazy, but comparatively, when you look at the fact that you can put out a base miniature game for thirty, $30,000, $50,000, mm. that doesn't even begin to scratch what you need yeah. for a video game. Mm. Absolutely. Because AAA titles worth millions. So. Right, right. And so. a wider, wider reaching audience as well, because now everyone and their gran is a video gamer. Because yep. they've all got, you know, Candy Crush and that sort of stuff. Oh, God. Now, Andre, it, counts. it counts. I don't like it either, but it does technically count as a video game. So, I mean, let's. Let me ask you, because you're the. You're, <laughs> you may not have the easiest answer, but it's the easiest question. Why have you chosen, at since you are a gamer, why have you chosen not to use Kickstarter? I didn't. I, I just, um, I don't know. It's kind of difficult for me to pay to them. It would be much easier if they used PayPal. Some of them do. But generally, I don't know. I, I only use did one Indiegogo thing, and it was Bushido, and I was really, really into Bushido, and I wanted the Ito faction, and um, they actually did really good job. There, you know, they delivered so, time. And, so for you, it comes down to just the ease of payment within... Um... It's ease of payment, and also kind of, you know, I never really... thing is, it's purely psychological thing more than anything else because normally, you know, there's a limited amount of money you can spend on miniatures and things. And I normally have enough things to buy now as it I is. Gotcha. And, you know, so something comes out in maybe like a year or so and it's kind of, mm, 
And also, sometimes you plan to buy something and then kind of you think, uh, maybe I shouldn't have bothered with it, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> kind of, you burn out the longer it goes. <laughs> Speaking of waiting, what was the longest thing you ever waited for a Kickstarter? <laughs> what is the longest thing I had to wait for? You did I didn't do Relic Knights. Actually, uh, my friend John did Relic Knights. Oh, okay. So we can't come that one. Yeah, I and I didn't do Kingdom Death Monster, even though I've now played it. Okay, so. My friend David did Kingdom Death Monster. And you could say I kind of partly backed it, because um, what I did is um, he wanted to just to, like get few things, and I said, look, you, you just pay little extra and you get much more. Right. Because and uh, he wasn't too bothered, and I said, okay, I'll give you this extra 15 pounds, and you just give those spare things to me. And um, what was it? It was over two years now? I, because I, my friend I think just it was... I think I heard it was three years. Full oh, nearly three years? Yeah. Okay, and um, so basically for my 15 pounds, I got that huge phoenix, which is bigger than Warhammer Dragon's. Uh, I also got creature called Vo uh, Watcher, <laughs> which I just built, and um, uh, I also get a lot of. Um, uh, okay, I got three uh, Kinsmen, which is like a Halibardia type monster, and I get a few spare uh, armor kits, which he has because. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, I, I'm trying to look because it's it's so bad. I this is just going to start the normal the normal uh, jumping on and complaining about the our favorite uh, punching bag. But unfortunately, I think it's going to end up being the truth. So, as I go through my big list of all the things I've had to wait on and all the things that got delayed, the reality is right now now. I will let me caveat it this way. There's another game I think is going to get stretched out further than I had to wait for this one. The one that was the latest in delivering, which also is tied for the worst put together Kickstarter I was involved in, was Weird Miniatures Through the Breach role playing. <laughs> I was wondering if that was it. And, and I'm see so you guys can see the video now, so you can see the angst I'm going through <laughs> trying to trying to not say that one because we always pick on and beat on weird. But it really was the worst Kickstarter I've been involved in okay, and was the longest length for me to get the game, which is almost two years. Why was you it know, the worst? Before did? the Kickstarter actually started, I was actually planning to back it. Uh-huh. The, the campaign was so weird to me that... Boom, boom. I don't know. They had no add-ons <laughs> whatsoever. Because there were two things which I was interested in there. One was the hardback book, and the other one was the... Um, uh, the the video doll. Hannah. No. That's it, was, a, it wasn't the video doll? Okay. <laughs> it, Richie, you laugh. I backed at the highest level and got the video doll. So you were asking why... Yeah, hey, the Hannah. Why was it the worst? Um, their communication is abysmal. Abysmal. I, I, remember, I remember hearing that at the time. Um, then they came across as titled and essentially badmouthed their backers. Oh. 
to their faces, yeah. you know. We'll get this delivered when we're going to get to it. I mean, just some of the comments. If you ever go back and read either their comments in the comments, you know, comments uh, field or read their updates, they got very aggressive updates. Uh, so you start with bad communication. Then you get to aggressive updates, aggressive with your customer. And then at the end of the day, while they tried to make nice, even adding some of the, and they did, they put extra product into the boxes and they promised to ship. And then they came back and a lot of the comments to me came across as, well, we gave you extra stuff. We don't know why you're still bitching. <laughs> well, if you hadn't have been a year and a half late mm. or had actually communicated with us over that time. Yeah. Now, I was also in one of the Soda Pop miniatures, um, you know, the Forgotten King. That was also delayed. wasn't delayed nearly as long. A lot of the people in the, or a, a number, let's say a lot, in the Kickstarter complained about Soda Pops, and this is after Soda Pops split from Cool Mini or Not. They complained about their communication. The reason they complained is because Soda Pops sent an update out that was usually a page and a half long, Every Friday, even if there was nothing to say. In the times where there was nothing to say, they would come out and go, we don't have any updates about the Kickstarter, but here's pictures of the cards that we're going to include. Yeah. Here's the rules. Here's a model. Here's something to keep you somewhat intrigued. Very professional. Very I thought so. I thought it was great. And it's one of the, I think it's a, a fantastic thing. Tell me a little about the game. Keep me excited. Mm. every week and that just means you have 52 weeks to keep me excited if you're yeah. 52 weeks late and i'm currently going through the same thing with another game i'm not able to say what the game is because um my friend tom who um you you know from um, that last interview on games lounge bill um i've um, I've done a double order, as it were, and my second copy is a gift to him for a belated birthday present. So I can't say what it is, um, but um, it's a game, and um, we are currently at... We are very... It was supposed to ship... They, they claimed that it was supposed to be April this year, but we will allow for June or July for complications... They are now saying it may be, if everything goes according to plan, January. Yeah, see, so now I have... We're now about six, six, eight months. And I'm, and the problem, the problem is not the delay. That's not the problem. It's the fact that there are no communications. Right. And what little communication there are, they're not in actual updates. They're in individual comments. So you have to actually oh. search for them. And when they are, they're normally saying... We haven't got anything now. Expect something. It's not Elliot versus Brennan. No, and a couple of days <laughs> pass, and they go, "Oh yeah, still nothing." In a couple of days, and it's like, stop promising us an update in a couple of days, and then just keep pushing that back without actually telling us anything. Well, and here's something I think I, that I find frustrating, and I think I, I know this is something that only how do I say it? It's uh, you know, it's it's too much of a good thing or whatever. Mm. So with the number of kickstarters that I have backed. When I get to a point where I have five or six Kickstarters that I'm waiting for them to deliver, it's one thing if nobody was de was communicating regularly. But when I have three of them send me one or two updates a week, yeah, and two of them that don't talk for six weeks at a time, the difference is it's huge. Mm. So um, now, so the two games I have that are running a close second, Creature Caster, mm -hmm. is a little frustrating. 
Um, amazing product. I still completely back the guy and I'm looking forward to it, but he's been very slow. He's almost, a, he'll be almost a year late from his delivery. Um, you know, he was I, actually, I'm looking right now. He is exactly a year late in another week. So November 2014 is when he was supposed to deliver, and we're coming up on November 2015. He communicates, and when he does, he has all sorts of great detail. But he's an artist. And there's, see, Andre, you'll recognize this. There's something about artists that it drives everybody else nuts. <laughs> it's this sort of artsy nonspecificisms that you guys have. I love the fact that I can see in your face, Andre, you're like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that just says everything. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and he's talking about sculpting. You know, he's like, oh, look at this cool thing we sculpted. And, and the backers are like, when are we getting our shit? <laughs> Seriously. Just ship us our damn models. They're pretty. We're okay with it. Speaking of frustrating Kickstarters, my friend... Gary backed Alien vs. Predator. Uh-huh. And, um, well, he's still waiting for his copy, and, you know, the problem with <laughs> with that particular Kickstarter is um, uh, they, it took them really, really long time to get Fox approve everything they do. And now what happened is um, they need to ship them all out, and because, you know... Shipping prices have gone up and something one like second, that. One second, Andre. Have they still not shipped AVP? Not everything. They shipped it to like uh, one third of people. Wow. Yeah. Because they run out of money for shipping it now. But hold on so a second. They... Last August, I think it was, um, I went to visit... It's available <coughs> You can buy yeah. them now. I went to a to, to little, tiny little gaming shop in the middle of Wales... Where there was, where you didn't even get, you didn't even have 3G signal on your mobile phone. If you wanted to get anywhere, you had to basically take like a two-hour bus, you know, just to get to the nearest train station. And they had a copy. <laughs> but see, and that's something I... already for some time now. But not all backers have got it. <laughs> They're trying to make some money selling it retail, so they have money to ship it. <laughs> and, and they run into it, like a lot of these guys will run into these situations. Um, I, I, and I've seen a couple of different situations along this line happen, right? So you have this where maybe they shipped in, I think Alien vs. Predator shipped in waves, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So it ships in waves, so you oh, can get... Those people got it already. Right, you can get the core game. And, and maybe even, but you can't get the Kickstarter exclusive stuff. Hmm. So, and then there's a whole other side. Uh, so the other thing that really frustrates people, um, Soda Pop ran into this. Soda Pop had got everything into their warehouse for, for Super Dungeon Explorer Forgotten King right before Gen Con this year. So they actually went out to their backers and said, hey, listen, we really hope you support us. We know that we haven't, we just started the shipping. We know that the bulk of you guys don't have your, don't have your games yet. But will you please give us permission? Uh, there's another company that did the same thing. Will you let us know if it's okay to sell it at Gen Con? Because that's going to help us as a company. And a lot of the backers were like, uh, no, not okay. Yeah. So we get our stuff. We're not okay with it. And Soda Pop had to come back and go, uh, okay, we appreciate what you're saying. Unfortunately, you're just going to have to be upset. 
Because from a business decision, we have to do this. It's not that you're not getting your stuff. Your stuff is in the warehouse. It's being packed. But we gotta we gotta start selling this. So and and I think that pisses off a lot of backers, especially for the bigger companies, because people are feeling. And I don't really fall into that boat. It's frustrating for me. Um, I'll use Blood Rage from Cool Mini. I'll be all over the place here, but I have been frustrated that people who went to Gen Con this year were able to play Blood Rage since August, and I just got my copy two days ago. But I got more stuff than anybody else is able to get because that's what I got out of the Kickstarter. And now that I have it in, pretty much all is forgiven. I got what I wanted. Mm. It was frustrating to see everybody else playing it, but it's not going to stop me. The reasons I backed it, I got everything I backed it for. So, so it's a payment thing, Richie. What about you? Why haven't you backed more, um, more stuff? A combination of reasons. One is um, a lot of the time I'll look at something and I just go, it what? doesn't grab me for one of two reasons. Oh. Either because it's just I'm not a fan of the genre or whatever. Um, that was the case with Gilball. You know, I didn't. I'm not a big fan of medieval. Yep. Real world lifestyle, uh, storyline things. And likewise with, uh, uh, what was it? Um, Wrath of Kings. Nothing about it, just it, it, the, the aesthetic didn't be, appeal to me. Simple as that. Wrath yep. of Kings a lot. Yeah. I know a lo- loads of people do, and I can see it's a very stylized game and this, that, and the other. And if starts, I'm not, I'm not a big fantasy fan. Actually, later I want to speak a little about Wrath of Kings, but before that, um, you <laughs> backed, but then cancelled the others. Yes, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so that's the main reason is, uh, is things just either don't appeal to me. Or also, um, I look at it and I go, it's not what I consider value for money. Wow, okay. And a lot of the time they, the attitude will be, and you see it a lot with certain companies like, say, Mantic and um, Cool Mini, where they go, so, you give us $100 and we will give you three, $400 worth of products. It, in the end, it was a huge value for money. Yes. Yep. Like but, several box sets but, of extra stuff. But for free. this is the thing. It's only value for money if you actually want it. A lot of the time, yes, you can sell it again, but I, can't, I, I, I hate selling things. I've never eBay. I've only bought on eBay. I've never sold on eBay. I, I, I can't be bothered with all of that. It's an effort. I just... For me, it's just not worth my time. So anybody sitting out there right now who says, but wait, I buy on eBay, Richie. If you want to buy some Neverborn and some Resurrectionist models, <laughs> eBay, look for me. Just search for that. I still have it up. I sold the first two lots. Just a plug. I mean, shameless, <laughs> but okay. Um, so let me, let's so talk about value for money. Yeah, if I'm getting, you know, if I spend $100 and I'm getting $300 worth of stuff, if two hundred dollars of that I don't want, then for me that's not value for money because it's just dead waste. Right. And so, so here's what I ran into, and and I'm going to use cool mini or not because then we're going to come back and beat them up. <laughs> I did not back Zombie Side Season One because I'm not a fan of zombie games, and because I already had Last Night on Earth in the house, so I didn't need a zombie game. Yeah. No big deal. Missed out on Season 1, which was disturbing, the amount of stuff you got. Zombicide Season 2 and the expansion came in, and I looked and said, I'm not playing Zombicide. 
I see the value, but again, I'm not really playing zombie games. No big deal. I'm not going to pick it up. And then my wife got me Zombie Side for Christmas because it was one of the things that I said I wouldn't mind having a copy. I've played it a couple times with friends. It's fun. I think everybody will like it. We buy the game, and my wife and my daughter fall in love with the game. So I backed Season 3. Now, why did I back Season 3? Because Season 3, through the Kickstarter, for my $210, which is what I spent on Season 3, I probably got... One, I got stuff that's not available in retail that are not critical to playing the game, but are such beneficial additions to the game that I would be an idiot not to try to get them. Yeah. Two, I probably got $500 worth of stuff. And I'm at the point now, and, and it's I, I, I now have buyer's remorse. Now, I don't have huge buyer's remorse around Season 2 not kickstarting it. It's not huge because at the time I made the choice for the reason I made the choice. But if I were able to go back and had I been able to crystal ball look forward... I was an idiot not to do season two because I'm going to spend just to fill out the season to my zombie side collection for what we play. Mm. I'm going to spend as much now to get a quarter of what the Kickstarters did as those people did to get four times as much. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And that's why a lot of times that's why I do Kickstarter rise of the Kaja is a great, um, that's another good one. Uh, I looked so at the Kickstarter. Pronounce it. I'm sure it's, it's supposed to be Rise of Kage. <coughs> okay, Kage, Kage. Yeah, somebody else told me so that the other day, and I told her. I'm just now, I'm just gonna say it wrong. I just thought so, it was a funky way of writing cage. I think it is. It's Rise of the Cage. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Rise of the Cage. Anime. I know. I'm actually into Japanese things, so trust me. It is Kage. Okay. <laughs> Rise of the Kage is a game where I looked at it. I saw the gameplay. I said, this looks cool. I'm probably going to want to buy this. So, yes, I can trust they're probably going to... Most likely, GCT was going to put this out no matter what. Most likely, they didn't need my backing for this. But the amount of stuff I got in the Kickstarter outweighed waiting for it to come out in retail. Well, you got uh, basically a playable Bushido faction now as well. Yeah, like two of them, right? I mean, I got all the ninjas and I have all these guards that I could... Well, the thing is, uh, at the moment they're bringing out the actual uh, stats for ninjas because Sh- Wave 26 is Shadow Wind Clan and they have all basically all the cards for them now. Okay. So this is the playable faction. I don't know how when you will be able to use the guards if you will be able to use them. That's yeah, and I think all the guards are Edo... I think they're all Edo faction. Are you sure? Oh, no, wait. Ito or the Snakes? Who's the uh, who's the Imperial guys? Uh, Prefecture of Ryu, the Dragon Clan. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I, think they're, I think they're Prefecture guys. Mm-hmm. Not positive, but I think. Yeah, but, I think you know, so. That's sort of where I weigh, and I know and this also is going to go to our next, I think part of the next part of the discussion. When I look at a Kickstarter, I weigh it against a couple things. One, is this, a, you know... I. I always, I'm only back in Kickstarters. I'm interested in a game, specifically around games, on games I think I'm going to play. With two exceptions, being the Creature Caster and Infamy. Those I did just for pretty models. Um, but then I say, after, yes, it's a game I'm going to play, 
is this a game that's ever going to get made in retail if I don't back it? And in those cases, I usually back it because I there's a couple of games I don't think will ever go to retail that I've backed, and I really enjoy the games. Would Ethereum be one of those? Um, I keep hoping Ethereum goes to retail. It it falls in it. I know their intention is eventually go to retail, and in fact, they're looking at starting their second game along with expansions. But there's a great example, right? Ethereum, I think, falls into what you would call the proper use of Kickstarter, which is a small company, a couple of guys who still have their full-time jobs, <laughs> need the money to you know, it, it not come out of pocket to build up and get their company started. Um, you know, when I look at uh, Tides of Infamy is another one that I did. It's a, it's a pirate ship game that I haven't gotten in yet. Um, here's a great one. There's a game called Commissioned. Um, Commissioned is a board game that came out that was based around, or is based, it's coming out. Um, I haven't gotten a ship yet. It was based, it is based around the first century Christian church and sort of the struggles of expanding the church. So you actually play apostles from the Bible in the different apostles, and you have to do certain tasks in the game, like assemble the New Testament, get the books written, grow your church across Asia Minor, deal with the Roman Empire. It's it's kind of all these cool uh, worker placement, very Euro growth game. This is something that would never get done now, what I find most interesting about these guys, they gave an estimate of February 2016 to deliver, and they're actually probably going to be a month to two months early on their estimate. Oh, and they've been very upfront. They're like, we did this, we did this, here it is, hey, look, we're beating estimates. No promises, but you're probably going to get the stuff, you know, two months early. Um, another one where the game would never get created, and they may not create a second or third game. It may just be to create this one game. Mm. Then the other side is Blood Rage, great example. Yeah. Zombie side, a great example. Even though I want to support my local game store, am I already buying enough from the local game store that it's worth it to me to spend the money on the Kickstarter? And then it comes down to two things. Am I getting a lot of extra stuff in the Kickstarter or even enough? The second thing is, if I back the Kickstarter, I know as the alpha gamer, as one of the alpha gamers in my community, I'm going to get this game before the store gets it, which means I can help build interest for my store because one or two people in my store are going to get the game. But the store is going to end up selling, you know, Blood Rage. After playing this last night, it was my first game. My store is going to sell out of this when it goes on sale. I almost guarantee it. Everybody was excited to see it. It's a lot of fun of a game. I have the game probably two months, six weeks to eight weeks before the store is going to be able to get it through the retailers. That's six to eight weeks that people are playing my copy, Mm. getting excited, and putting it on pre-order. Bill, did you look at others at all? I did. (sighs) Hey, Richie, what did you think of the others? (laughs) <clears throat> well, um, I liked it initially. I loved the model for the Sin um, avatar thing, all the tentacles and stuff. Fantastic model. And I, I, I originally went in for the standard $100 pledge they had, and I was really excited for it. 
and I was watching the videos and this and the other. And I, was, you know, I was really, really, you know, I was experiencing the well, the, the cool mini hype train, as it yeah. And as time went on, I began to lapse a little bit, and the more and the strange thing was, it was actually the actually the other backers who actually kind of put me <laughs> off backing because it, the, 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 um, because it was the attitude behind it it was what, reading these comments the attitude behind it was that there was it was less about can we make this game a success and instead how much free stuff can we wrangle out of this yep. and there was a lot of free stuff I mean so the idea being is so the normal game would retail normally for about roughly a hundred dollars. Um, so you're basically your standard pledge is basically ish standard retail. Then each and that would come with two of the seven sins, and then each additional sin pack would cost twenty five dollars each. By the end of the Kickstarter, all seven yeah, sins included. Also, so, Col- can I just say something? I mean, the actual sin packages. What you get is here is one controller, mm-hmm. one uh, avatar. What are they called? Yeah, I think it's an avatar. And the uh, Six, uh, whoa, yeah, so you're, you're basically looking at, uh, what was it, you're looking at about seven 25mm, uh, 28mm um, models, and one, one and one 50-60mm. Oh, yep. no, 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 there's more. Oh, yes, and there's the lesser ones. The lesser ones with, like, Fireman or Corrupted one thing or the other. So you, you, oh, no, 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 those came with the special uh, yeah. the teams. Plus, so, at the end, so it was, yeah, Avatar controller, six, six abominations, the board and the cards. Yeah. So you're getting, you're saving about two, um, 200, maybe even $300 there. And so, that was a big pull. But at the same time, I had to make lots of decisions. One of them, I said, I didn't like the attitude of the actual group. I know this is really silly. Why would you want to make yourself lose out on having stuff that you may use and play because of other people's attitudes? But part of me was the hell that if this is the culture, do I want to put my my dollar into this culture? Or do I want to, you know, yes, am I cutting off my nose to my face? Maybe. But there comes a time where you have to make a moral stand. And in my case, I was like, I know... I, I I don't want my money going towards in furthering this culture. Right. I but, don't get you. <laughs> but there were other things as well. I mean, and if it was just that by itself, I may have carried on. I may have carried on with it because the okay, we were getting a lot of money. Gary backed it. Yeah. And he got everything. Yeah. But all the extra teams of this big expansion with the Riders yeah. of Apocalypse, yep. and he yep. got everything. And also, for that $100, not only you get all the seven sins, but there's like two extra teams yeah. of hunters as well. And this, yep. is, this is where extra things come into it, because like um, when you look at things like hunters, if you look at them, I believe that they were sculpted by a different team who sculpted the sins. Mm. Because I actually think the hunters look a little bit shitty in comparison. I mm. look at them, I go, well, they're all right. There's nothing jump out that goes, wow, they're amazing. Look at that, that's fantastic. Not like the same, mm. you know, oh my god, I you get exactly from the Exactly opposite, yeah. Really? <laughs> Don't the thing is, I didn't back it. Mm. And there were several reasons for that. First of all, I didn't really like the monsters for this game. Mm-hmm. Those technically big, ugly things, not <laughs> exactly my thing. Yeah. Another 
I did like a lot of the actual uh, hunters or whatever they're called. But the trouble is, I saw these really nice, you know, painted, you know, miniatures there. But they were resin. They were resin-like versions. Yeah. When they get, they do them from PVC, do they? Sort of. Yeah, it's a. I, I don't know if it's PVC or what. It's. I mean, it's some type of rustic. It's the same thing that's in Zombie Side. It's the same thing that's in Blood Rage. It's. Uh, it's very similar. It's actually a little bit softer than the Relic Knights. You, you handle a lot of Zombie Side miniatures. I mean, the quality. How are they? I'm perfectly happy with them. Ah. So zombie side miniatures are soft enough that I can sweep my arm across the table and scoop stuff back in the box without worrying about it. But, but they are pr- imagine if you but, were like pro paint. Well, would, hold on, right? You would hate it. I mean, they're game pieces, but they're for, not display models, are they? Exactly. But for me, who's not a pro painter, I can put a coat of paint on these and make them look perfectly good, and then just not sweep them into the box anymore. Put them back. Like I have foam for mine. So if I ever get around to painting them, I would just drop them back into the foam and be fine. But you're not going to pro-paint these, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to do, at best, a tabletop standard. Because, uh, okay, Bill, did you back a uh, zombie-side plague thing? Every four, wasn't it? So I, I did not do the fantasy zombie-side Black Plague, but that's because two reasons for that. One... I don't get to play Super Dungeon Explorer enough, so I want to have that be my fantasy-based dungeon crawl. I do believe Black Plague will do a fantasy dungeon crawl better, at least in relation of, for my family. But we also, if we're going to sit down and play Zombie Side, we're going to sit down and play the, the modern-day Zombie Side. And we already have so much of that, there was no reason to add in the fantasy. And they don't really mix. Right, I can't play the fantasy with all the regular zombie side stuff we have now. Really, they're two different games. Now the thing is, there were actually some models in that Kickstarter which I really, really liked, and they're going to be great. I mean, could you, as a pro painter, could you do a great job? Yes, but you're going to run into the problem you're going to run into with anything that's a difference between a game piece and a model. These are not miniature sculptures. They're sculpted miniature game pieces. The trouble is, I saw concept art, and I saw the the actual um, uh, no 3D renders, and those look amazing. Yep. And now I'm worried how are they going to be sculpted, because, the, the like I said, I really like some of the hunters for the others, but, uh, you know, those were resin sculpts, the actual execution with the detail for me to paint. Now, I will say this. if See, I don't expect Coolman or not to put that level of effort in. GCT, the models on Rise of the KJ are are actually the soft plastic that you can sweep like game pieces mm-hmm. off the table. And the detail they got is incredible. Absolutely incredible on these models. I'm talking samurai armor where you can actually see the overlaying leaves of the metal armor. I I mean, just wow. Now, the actual minis which I really wanted to get from this Black Plague Kickstarter is the artist's boxes. You know the art? Yeah, yep. 
Now, some of them, like Edward Guiton's one and uh, uh, Paul Bonner's one, and some of them are so great that I just I just want to paint them. I have absolutely no interest in this game <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> it's just, but I mean, you've been calling them game pieces, but I'm just itching to paint them as long as they came out well. But you should go take a look um, in the current zombie side. They have a couple of those same artists did artist boxes for the current. And I would imagine, I can't promise this, but I would imagine the the quality on the models is going to be the same. And the material is going to be the same. So that would, you know, for $15, you could pick up some of the modern zombie side models by the same artist and get a good idea how it's going to take to the paint that you want to put on it. Mm. Because a friend of a friend gets zombie side, that's the thing. Also, yeah. Gary didn't bake didn't back zombie side black plague because his friend was getting it. That's <laughs> uh, well, that's a pretty that I mean look that's a valuable choice too. There's plenty of things. I have two friends that got black plague. So if I decide I want to play, or if as a group, you know, we want to play, it's it's going to be out there for me to play. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really a worry either for me. And that right there is another reason why I didn't back Seven Sins. Because I would have no one to play it with. Yeah, so... What good is a game you're not going to play? And it's funny you say that. Um, For me, pretty much any of these games, I could get somebody to play between the couple of different gaming groups I have, between the, the store and friends and my family. But this was one where I sat down, I looked at this... And I and I dread saying this because Eric Lang does good games. I was so uninspired. The models didn't line up the way I would expect. And it's the, the whole demonic Seven Sins thing. I, the way they went with it is it wasn't aesthetically pleasing to me. Mm. And then over and above that, when I watched the actual gameplay, which may have been enough to push me over the edge to spend some money on it, I, um, well, okay, so blame it on a vitamin D deficiency or not, but honestly, watching the video of the initial gameplay put me to sleep. I was actually planning, when I was originally was going to back it, <laughs> I was going to actually plan on rewriting the rules. Right, right. <laughs> because they looked actually very, you know, I mean, he, Eric, seems to be very infused about it, but it, what it did, it, it struck me as because that was his baby and his love. And if it was anyone else playing in that, as the other people were, it yep. was kind of, uh, oh, I suppose I'll just do this then. Okay, well, end of turn. Okay, right. was this over? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. What if you play another game? So. Also, most of these Kickstarter games tend to be like a board games with miniatures. You know? Well, that seems very exactly popular like right now. And it's, but I'm not sure. I, I can't tell if that's Kickstarter or if that's just where the board gaming side of the the industry is going mm. board games have always been popular haven't they so but not board games with miniatures no and i remember having that discussion with um eric J when puppet wars came out mm. and it's kind of amusing to me because i go back and look at puppet wars now and say i almost think puppet wars I love. I actually still enjoy Puppet Wars. I still have all my stuff. I think Puppet Wars may have been two years early. Mm. I think it would do better had they had it had it not come out for two more years and then launched sort of in this era yeah. of exactly what Andre just said: 
board games with miniatures. Yeah. But is that because, you know, making miniatures, it, it's, it, it's, it's more, the fact that there are so many more miniature games being made now, it shows, it, the, the process of making them must be easier in general, thanks to computer-aided design and all this sort of stuff. So therefore, a board game company who previously may not have had the whatever to do with miniatures, now they can go, well, rather than having, you know, meeple or whatever, let's have miniature for it. So this is a bill opinion. Purely a bill. I, I mean, imagine that. I have an opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is my opinion. I think two things are coming in, in converging. On the one hand, I do. I think you got it right. There's people that would have made board games before with tokens and chits and and pieces, right? Yeah. The Parcheesi, uh, you know, Parcheesi and Monopoly little bits, where now they say I can make my game cooler. I can build in the bling for my game by doing models. Yeah. And along with that, I think some of those board game designers are coming out of miniature gaming. So they're, they want to add in, you know, I look, um, Blood Rage, I'm going to use that as an example again, or Zombie Side. I think this is something where those are clearly both built as board games, but you have stat cards for different models, mm. right? That's a very miniature, miniature gamey thing to have individual rules for squads or sets of models. Yeah. So I do think there's that influence of miniature gamers designing board games. I also think there's another side of it. And this is where I almost believe the Ethereum guys came in, mm-hmm. where you have miniature gamers who want to design a miniature game and suddenly realize that they can simplify one of the more complicated versions, complicated issues around designing a miniature game by putting it on a board. Right? And it's not even so much eliminating the table, but once you take a, a miniature game and make it a strategic board game, you can easily answer or eliminate most of the frequently asked questions. I'd agree with that. Troubles, to me, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I, um, I can't say if it's good or bad, because there's some really good strategic board games out there, and I still love miniature games. I, want you know, I still love tabletop miniatures. Well, with terrain, even though I haven't made much terrain. <laughs> ah, now, that I will tell you, I am a huge lover of nice terrain, and I am finding myself between Guild Ball and the board games I'm playing, dreading the days that I have to drag terrain out or go look for terrain to fill up my board. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sad. Like, I'm sad and disappointed in myself when that happens. Well, I, I just need to find time to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I kind of already thinking of nice, like, uh, uh, centerpiece of about this size. Because, you know... You, so I was wondering that's about the size of a, a small cake. Rich, I don't know what you're talking about. It's about this size. <laughs> a small cake. <laughs> yeah, in America, small cake is like... <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you missed it. I didn't move my hands. We're on radio. <laughs> yeah, it's about that size, not this size. <laughs> no, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. No, so that what size. was... Thinking that size. There's a painting by uh, Francois Boucher, a uh, Baroque French painter, and uh, 
it's a landscape which has like a little house with just on the side of a either a small river or a, large, or a large stream with a bridge going over it. So this kind of house built into a bridge. And there's also like wooden plank thing going box <laughs> around it. Looks very atmospheric, but I will kind of use that as a basis and actually build a centerpiece for, I don't know, either Guild Ball or Malifaux or I'll work for several things, I suppose. Yeah, that would be cool. Trouble with Guild Ball, you know, they kind of really restricted the terrain rules, so there's no big centerpieces in there, is it? Well, the preference is no big centerpieces, but nothing stops you from putting a big centerpiece in. Yeah, you just kick the ball yeah, over I, the Originally, I thought putting some terrain on board would be a great idea, but what they use for tournaments, at least, is more like um, obstacle course, and I don't... Yes. <coughs> yeah, it is more limited. Um, so I, so let, let's hit the last thing, right? Because this is what I hear as the biggest complaint, and Richie, you you dive right into this, like, neck deep, which is the whole idea that Kickstarter... That Kumini or not and Mantic and other big game companies are evil and abusive for using Kickstarter. I'm not sure if I use those words, but yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but it's right. Kickstarter is only supposed to be for little companies who are starting out, and none of these big guys who can produce this stuff on their own should use Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Isn't that your argument? Okay, you make your argument. He's going to say the same thing I just did. I, w- I wouldn't say that. <laughs> That the others should. I. Uh, sorry, Richie, I'm gonna interrupt you, but it's like saying that you know, Florida theme parks are for Florida people only. You know, build your own theme parks. Well, I, okay, so, I, I read it. Yeah. That's that. That's possibility. But I would never. I would never say that people like Cool Mini and that sort of stuff shouldn't use Kickstarter. Um, as I've said so many times in the past, I'm a big supporter of free markets. And I think that, you know, if, if you make a product and people want to buy it, that's great. And if that's the direction that Kickstarter wants to go in or the, the, the Kickstarter industry wants to go in, then that's obviously how it should go. Because that's the thing. Nobody should dictate how this sort of industry should go. It should just organically move. Okay. Um, however, you have to look at a couple of factors, like the name Kickstart, Kickstarter. What does that relate to? Does that relate to an already existing thing that has the power and potential to do its thing without any need whatsoever? Or is it actually referring to what you do in order to get a vehicle moving when it is currently stationary? And it's, it's, it's that because it's referring to a company that without this initial push would not be able to do what it needs to do. So can I play devil's advocate just on that for a minute? What if it's not talking about companies? Where does it say Kickstarter means companies? What if they're just kickstarting projects? Yeah, bro, that's yeah. what I wanted to say, actually. Yeah, that's, that's valid. And again, you know, are, are we sim- I, I don't know about the money that a lot of these companies own, but maybe you do. Maybe we can just hypothesize. But I would assume that someone like Coleman or not, based on the amount of money they've made in the past, have enough capital that they could fund any of their games without Kickstarter. I'm so- assuming. Fair enough. So I would let me present a different look. And before I say, you know, agree or disagree, I mean, clearly I've backed 32 projects and I've just mentioned, you know, I I haven't done Mantic, but I've mentioned Cool Mini here a couple of times. So clearly I already 
support these guys, or at least I'm willing to take advantage of them. But let me give you a different perspective. What if Kickstarter is seen as a vehicle to test new ideas? So instead of having to invest their own money into an idea that may fail, let's say Games Workshop. Mm -hmm. What if Games Workshop, instead of having launched six different Interesting. Um, well, no, 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 no. Okay, so Games Workshop launched Warhammer. They watched, launched Warhammer 40K. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the specialist games, right? Instead of launching six specialist games, instead of putting out Man of War and Inquisitor and Blood Bowl and um, Battlefleet Gothic, right? And, 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 right. So instead of putting all those out, what if they had had a vehicle like this where they could have said, we have our two big games. We could develop, we could put 50,000 pounds into each of these five or six specialist games and see where they go and try to sell it and invest in them. Or we can put all of these out on Kickstarter. You, the community, tell us which ones you're willing to put, you're most interested in supporting by putting your money behind it. We're still going to develop, but you go ahead and invest to offset our risk, and then we're just going to go full bore and put our limited creative resources only against those areas that you people are interested. That just sounds so not Games Workshop. <laughs> I think my answer. But to that's that where Kickstarter, be, I think, I is have working. Been pwned. I cannot respond to that. I think that would be a yes. I yeah. That I have no right? with that. I think that's a good idea. I heard I, an, I would have no problem morally with that whatsoever. And I'm not saying that's what these companies are doing, mm. but I wonder if that how much that has to do with it. I listened to a um, I listened to an interview with a angel investor where he was talking about the fact that in the tech realm, he refuses. One of the first questions he asks people coming to get ask money from him as an angel investor, and he's an early stage angel investor, which means he invests in companies before they've really grown anywhere. And as an early stage investor, one of the first things he asks for any company that's producing a product is, how did your Kickstarter do? And if they say we haven't done a Kickstarter, his response is, thank you, you're not ready. Wow. Because they haven't gone out to test their market. Mm. They don't know how much interest there is and how viable their product is. They're just coming in with belief when there's a tool out there now to exactly test that. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so, So it helps the small companies, and yes, I agree. Like, I love the way Guild Ball has done it. We're going to test our game, we're going to get up and running, and then we're not going to kickstart again. Okay. You know, maybe Cool Mini or not is evil for throwing so much stuff at it for a or game Mantic. that just keeps getting more expansions. Mantic. <laughs> or Mantic, yeah. I mean, maybe... So so maybe there's some evil in there, and do no evil would be the right thing here. I, I, but on the I other side... I wouldn't say they're evil. I think, but I think the, the problem we have, though is that you, it, it creates a, a bad precedent with the consumer who then expects this level of you, right. you, you get a, a certain 300-400% reward on your pledge, which other smaller companies cannot provide. Which is what you ran into with the, with the, with the others, right? With the yeah. cool men you're not that you looked at backing the whole community basically went greed, 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 greed. I mean, they should have just given away the greed box. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My 
friend, he's um, one of the reasons why he didn't back Guild Ball, and he was sort of looking into it. There was two reasons for it. <clears throat> First one, well, he was already getting Dreadball Extreme and uh, the uh, Dungeon Saga at, at, at that same time, which is kind of expensive. But the other reason was he was like, you get so little. <laughs> because of the Mantic, you know, these yeah. <laughs> huge amount of minutes. I, I think that, is, that, is, that is such a huge thing that for me has an issue. Because you see these game companies who are trying to make this game. And they're like, you know, we really want to do this. But because they're not able to give away the world on a stick... People go, well, I'm not going to give you my money because I'm going to give it to the other person and get a much bigger return. Uh, that's not the reason. It's, it's just because, you see, Guild Ball miniatures are really good quality metals. That don't, because my friend, he wants loads and loads of rustic, but, you know, the, he wants huge amount. <laughs> so here's a, here, but, but let me, let me go to that, right? Yeah, Andre, your friend wants huge amounts of rustic. What games is he playing that he's getting that rustic for? Uh, well, I can list you the things which he got. Um, and more importantly, is he getting the rustic for the game that he's? Is he getting with the rustic with the game he's going to play? Yes. Does he play the games? Right. Does he play the game <laughs> that he's? Or is he just collecting? Well, be both. The thing is, um, he was kind of into mantic already. He was already getting quite a few of a warpath stuff because when this. Um, does he play Warpath or 40k, though? He, both. Both? Yeah, but... Does he use his models, his Warpath models, in 40k? Not really. Okay. Uh, the thing is, uh, because he... When this Warpath Kickstarter started, because he's sort of looking at it and says, like, I don't know, because most of the stuff which they put in there already have it. Because he already yep. has several armies. He's got them, like, cheap on eBay and... Um, and uh, but in the end, he ended up spending hundreds on it because instead of just like a starter group, you can pick three big vehicles, and he's just getting huge amount of these big vehicles with okay. a few extras. That's what he's getting. Well, and I guess that's so. You know, one of the things you said, Richie. Um, why would you know people have this theory, or there's people that have have said or or think, why would I back Kickstarter A? if Kickstarter B gives me so much more, hmm. right? Why why back Kickstarter A from Richie Company when Kumini or not with Kickstarter B is going to give me so much more? Well, then the question I would ask is, one, are you buying to get a bunch of miniatures or a bunch of cardboard chits or a bunch of whatever the, the sort of outcome of the Kickstarter is that they're adding all these things on? Or are you buying a game? And then the, then if you're buying the game, what are the differences between the game that Richie and company is making versus Cool Mini or not? If those games are already so similar, eh, now I got a question. If there's one that's better than the other, yeah, maybe. But maybe little Richie company didn't do a good job with market oh, yeah. the market that you developed a game that this big company was already out and developing as well. I mean, I mean one, one of the things I um, backed, um, I mentioned this on a blog post, uh, the Icarus project, and one of the problems that this guy made was um, the game looked good. Um, I had a look at the um, beta file for playtest. It looked like it was a decent rule set. The models looked very nice. But one of his problems 
was that there was, um, despite the fact that over the summer we had, and last, and last spring, we had quite a few conventions. He's a UK-based company. But we had in the UK, in the UK we had a few conventions. Of course, in the US, there's conventions. And there was very little public presence. And so because of this, no one knew who this company was. It was a completely unknown brand. Exactly. Whereas um, one of the great things that Gilball did was, you know, just before their Kickstarter went live, they went on podcasts, they went to tournaments. So even though they are an unknown company, people hear, the, they see it, and they go, oh, I know who that company is. I know what this brand is. It's new, but I know of it. it, it and here's it's, what's worse. Not only do they know of it, but familiarity makes it feel, exactly. uh, familiarity breeds reliability. Yes. Whereas with this, with, with the Icarus project, I said, it looked a fantastic game. But there was no familiarity. I think right. they, I think there was maybe one article on Beasts of War or something like that. But that's it. One article out of a thousand that exists on the internet about models, you know. And that's, that's it. His, his problem was totally down to PR. And I remember I made a comment to the guy saying, "Have you thought about doing this?" And he said, "Oh well, I can't really afford to go to all these different things like Gen Con." It's like I, I, I get that. But you don't have to go to Gen Con to go to one tournament. <laughs> exactly. or what, you know, there's loads of ways of going around it. Post on Board Game Geek and get on a couple of podcasts and do some videos. Exactly. Like, there's so many ways free you can get the game out there. Uh, Bill, what do you think of Hunters from what you've seen so far? Hunters is interesting. I've chosen not to back it. I'm definitely, I'm so getting Hunters. Hunters. <laughs> Let's have a look. Yeah, Hunters Hunters is a I, it's it's a really interesting game. I like the way the models look. Um you know, they they talk about team versus team, but let me tell you why I chose not to back this. So it's also chi- it's 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 chibi, but it's pseudo chibi. So here's what, uh, Enter the Darkness. Yeah. What are you talking about? Isn't that the way you're talking about Hunters Enter the Darkness? No, Hunter's Guild and Guild Ball. Oh! I thought you were talking about Hunter's Enter the Darkness. Which is a Kickstarter. And they are currently at $18.5 out of 18k requirements, so they're just over. Yep. So, so on the Kickstarter topic, and then we'll jump into Hunter's the Guild Ball team. <laughs> on the Kickstarter topic, this is a great example. I didn't back this game, even though I like the way it looks. Because I have two other chibi games that fill this fill this role. I don't need a third game. Now, if I wanted other miniatures for it, and that's what I cared about, and I think that goes back to what Richie was saying, how many miniatures are they offering, and is it worth my time to put money into this rather than put money into the new Super Dungeon Explorer Kickstarter that just came out? Well, the answer on that is no. If all I'm looking for is chibi miniatures that are cute, that are going to go for another game, why wouldn't I go get the 900 or it's not that many, the, the 60, 60 or 70 miniatures for the same cost from Super Dungeon Explorer than for this one? Well, Ninja Division did like a chibi ninja game. Yep, they did. You're not getting that now? Uh, no, I actually chose not to get that one because okay. I had a good ninja game coming. That okay. wasn't chibi, so it actually looked a lot nicer. And, and it, you know, it's, it's made for masochists like me. <laughs> no, a game for masochists has to be Kingdom Death, definitely. <laughs> oh, I will tell you what, I've played Kingdom Death and I've played Rise of the, what is it, Kage? Mm-hmm. Did I say it right? Rise of 
Kage, yeah, Kage. Uh, Rise of the Kage is a much more punishing game than Kingdom Death. And I know there's people out there right now screaming at me that I'm insane. That just means those people have not played Rise of the Kage. <laughs> now, there's no horror in Rise of the Kage. Uh, yeah, I'm actually doing podcast right now. <laughs> so, um, what is it? <laughs> what are wrong with all of us, Andre? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. okay, so how are you doing? He said, keep going. Carry on, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I gave you a good oh. pause if you want to edit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, I mean, looking, looking overall, I... I still back the big companies because I like getting a lot of stuff. Yeah. I also back little companies, Sorry and, those, you know, and, and it still works out. Now, the last thing you mentioned, you guys mentioned, really came back to... Um, Sorry, I can't chat to you right now. That was Gary, by the way. <laughs> that, was, that was your friend Gary. <laughs> <laughs> So I was saying, I, I do back, so you can cut all that out, I, I do back these things that give me a lot of stuff because I like getting a lot of stuff and I like getting the game early. I and, and from big companies, I also back little companies. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel like, sometimes it sounds a little snobby to me when I hear a lot of the other people talk about Kickstarter and about how it can only be, it should only be used to, to you know, kick off small companies and get them moving and, forward. And, and so we're clear, that is not yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, no, no, no. See, I wasn't referencing you there. I was yeah. referencing all those other guys. Yeah. <laughs> because ultimately, that's it, that's it. people, you know, they do, you know, I was going, I was, I was in. I was going to do a cool million or not. I was going to. But it was, I mean, that's it. the final nail in the coffin was the fact that I said to my wife, look at this, isn't this an amazing game? And she's like, I'm not going to play it. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's okay, well, I'm not going to bother then. <laughs> but anyway, carry on, sorry. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, even regardless what kind of punk company does it, but if there's people, you know, voting it for for it with their money, it's their choice and their yes. right. To- and that is a great that is great. <laughs> people are voting with their money here. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned money, and we we just mentioned again. Let me let me touch on one last thing. The value I'm getting for my money, while it may take some of the money I'm spending at my local game store away from the local game store, the value is so far outweighed Mm. by paying even the 25% less that I I haven't minded the waiting. Now, that, I think, is the biggest trick, right? How many gamers are like me and can put off immediate satisfaction for up to a year or two years versus the people that want to spend money and put the game on the table right now? Um, I get really excited when I get new boxes in. And now it's sort of like Easter. Yeah, it's like Christmas to me. I, I just have boxes show up at the house, and I'm like, oh, what the hell is Oh, wait, I backed this a year ago. I remember this game. This is still really cool. So for me, the the shine of the game doesn't wear off while I'm waiting. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I get boxes from my local game shop. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, yeah, it's kind of the same feeling, <laughs> pretty much. 
But and, you know, and trust me, go ask my wife. She'll tell you. I get stuff from the local game shop too, and she's very unhappy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's it's funny you say that because my wife, saint that she is, it is so much easier for me to get stuff by Kickstarter because she doesn't see me spend the money when I spend the money, and then when it shows up, she's like, "Where the hell did this come from?" And I can look at her and go, "Oh, we Surprise! spent that much year ago." Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. last year's budget. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. I mean, that was that impacted us months ago. <laughs> That's uh, old business. You need to look at that. That's fine. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Kickstarter's <laughs> Richie, Andre. Sorry, I I just what did you just. Uh, I said, I, did I miss anything that we had talked that we had uh, tried to aim for discussing on Kickstarters? That's pretty much it. Well, um, few things maybe wanted to add. Um, first of all, there aren't that many Kickstarters I want to back any that anyway, because I'm more interested in the miniature games rather than miniature board games. So okay. that's kind of that makes it easier for me. Also, I'm looking for um, a skirmish level game before anything else. And uh, when, uh, one of the things I was really interested in was uh, Wrath of Kings because of uh, these miniatures were made from Edward Guiton's concept art and I absolutely love the guy. He's, well, I was into confrontation before that and yeah, I still have a bunch of confrontation models. And so which... why didn't you? It's a squad level game. Oh, is it? Yes. If, because people say, I mean, it was really good value for money as well. You get huge amount of really cheap miniatures, but if it was less miniatures with a skirmish level game, I would have most certainly backed it. Now, do you look at the miniature games, um, sort of miniature skirmish games, as they come up on Kickstarter? I do occasionally look at them. I'm often really tempted, but in the end, end up not getting them. Okay. Because, I, I, I mean, I find interesting. Like, if I do a quick search, uh, there's 50 miniature, there's 50 Kickstarter projects that are labeled skirmish miniature games. Mm. Now, only one of those is active today, uh, a game called Skirmish War, which is really, funny enough, it's really to back a YouTube, a YouTube uh, basically blog. Um, but then there's a lot of other stuff that I've seen, you know, there's Helderado, there's Arc World, Counterblast, um, you know, a lot of things that I've seen. Really, really tempted to get Helderado, actually. Yeah. And I, it's just I overspent some LSG and uh, okay, I got no money for this. I was really tempted to get Helderado, to be honest. Right. What was um? What was that? What what was that? The squad. Or squad? Okay. I I kind of like Wild it, West Exodus. Yeah. I find it superior to 40k, definitely. Huh. <laughs> but. Um, I'm not sure I would go there, but yeah. So they listed themselves as a Western miniature game. So they didn't really quantify where they fell. Sci-fi, sci-fi Western miniature game. 
what would you say now that they've been, now that it's you know the game has settled as it were the dust has settled and people have developed a I'm assuming, I'm assuming the overall meta will have said this is the size the game should be well what's what scary is if they still haven't oh okay <laughs> so a friend of mine great example um a friend of mine went to Adepticon last year so this goes back to the uh, beginning of this year he went to Adepticon now two years ago at Adepticon he and I had the discussion all about uh, me saying this game works best at a low point value with only the characters without your little troopers and get rid of all the vehicles. And he was saying, no, 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 no. This needs to be, you know, uh, not army scale, but it's bigger and it works fine at the higher level and the vehicles are an important part and everything else. And I went, eh, okay, we didn't agree. This year he played in two tournaments. One tournament was entirely the type of in the point range and the style that I described only the characters you can't take any hired hands. You can't take any big vehicles, just the characters. The other game was just the full rules, take what you want. And he actually came back to me this year and said, Bill, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about what? He goes, I think you were right. I had an incredible amount of fun in just the targeted character-driven skirmish side of Wild West Exodus. And I sat down in the tournament for the other game and all the way through was thinking to myself, why am I playing this game? So I there's there's a lot of camps the heavy vehicles. If that's what I have problems with. But what's the problem with them or or that's what see I don't like them either. I mean I'm not a fan of the heavy vehicles. But but I never like tanks. I don't play Flames of War cuz I'm not a tank guy. I I didn't like tanks and in, in big vehicles in 40K. You know, I I I didn't like the steam tank and the big the big monsters and whatnot, well, other than dragons, but I like dragons anyways. To be honest, I never actually played the game, but I looked at some demos and I uh, also some comments said that in this game, basically, it's whoever kills the other's heavy first, usually the winner. You're talking about in, in Wild West Exodus? Wild West Exodus, yes. I'm not sure. I will say there... There was a certain point where you were locked down now early in the game, right? So I'm sure they've fixed this by now or added more models. But basically there were certain builds where if it was really easy for me to put a heavy on the table and you didn't take one of the six characters that you needed to take to deal with it and you couldn't even do damage to it. Mm. Um, friends of mine locally, he plays with his son. He ran into exactly that issue. His son put down a tank on the board for the Union, and my buddy took nothing that could actually do damage to it. And then, of course, the explanation is, well, that's his fault for not taking the things he because he because knowing his opponent could have put it down. Yeah, okay. Games probably would have been better without them. Right. Oh, and the game would have been much more fun if the tank wasn't on the table. Now, his son had a great time. Because he wiped out everything else in the kid's army and immobilized the tank and still couldn't win the game because the tank just kept sitting there and swiveling the turret and shooting, not being able to be damaged. Mm. You know, I'm not sure that's really the fun a fun game. So but, you know, that's just me. I'm silly like that. Interesting thing about Wild West Exodus is it's a game that's actually really fun to watch. Not just play, but watch other people play it. I can not see all that. games are like that. Some games are kind of not that great to play, but not that great to watch. 
<laughs> but uh, Wild West Exodus is a great game to watch. What? And I hear if you like rolling dice, all the GW games are a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> you just have to get it in that, didn't you? I did. You just I really have to did. get that in. Examples <laughs> of games which are fun to watch. Some people like uh, dice. I like dice. Dark Age is really fun to watch. Malifaux is fun to watch. Um, Wrath of Kings is really fun to watch. You know, I haven't watched a Wrath of, other than watching Wrath of Kings to try to pick up some tactics or, or see how it's played online. I haven't actually sat back to watch a Wrath of Kings game. The models are nice, but I, I, I haven't, I've never been in that role where I've watched one play, so I gotta take your word on that Actually, one. Some really scary thing I noticed about Wrath of Kings. What's that? How, what similarities between that and game, and Age of Sigma? Really? Yeah. Okay. It's. So, um, so I have a couple of suspicions on where this is coming from. One would be the no points, but they use ranks. No, nothing. No. Okay. One of the things is it's a sort of small squad game, but miniatures move individually. Plus, also. Uh, oh. I forgot, I forgot <laughs> what I going to say now. But uh, there are some really similarities in the gameplay itself. And I actually had this really weird idea, which I will probably never going to do. But imagine getting, like, a, a Wrath of King starter and actually proxy them as Wrath of... No, sorry, uh, Age of Sigma starter and proxy them as Wrath of Kings model and actually go into some gaming club and play a Wrath of Kings game using Age of Sigma models <laughs> and actually now, use... <laughs> I have to admit... <laughs> just make, just to make admit. people like... <laughs> what the, is very, the, the very dark evil... Yeah, the very dark evil side of my brain <laughs> had that thought when I first heard reviews of, of Age of Sigmar and I heard the comment about... Age of Sigmar is about being able to take all the models in your collection. And the first thing that popped in my mind is, do you mean my Rasputina crew can partner up with my Eldar and roll out with my Mortician's team? Oh, my God, what a game. I'm not even sure how that would work. And then I remembered it was Age of Sigmar. So as long as I have a pretzel, bu uh, a pretzel bucket full of dice, I just roll them all. Maybe that should be a drinking game. Every time Bill bashes dice roll. Uh, uh, Wrath of Kings and see that this is what well. Age of Sigma should have been. <laughs> um. You know, I don't actually, actually, I think if you were to take exactly what you just said and you took all of those different things and put them together, I think the hilarity and fun that could actually come out of playing whatever that game would be would actually be not that different to what they were aiming for with things like the biggest moustache rules and all that sort of stuff. I, I, you know, you're probably right. You, you, I, I, would, I was having to say that's exactly what they were aiming for. They just didn't picture, you know, other model companies. <laughs> being the models well, in all fairness, that's exactly what GW were like. Heaven right. forbid use another model company. You know. Hmm. Yeah, but I was I'd actually really like to play that game. <laughs> I like the models, and uh, after watching demos, I thought, like, ah, oh, this is, I really like this rule set. And uh, what, what, at the same what, what time, this? 
Uh, Wrath of Kings. Ah, Wrath of Kings. Okay, we're not from Age Sigma anymore. No, oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, so Wrath of Kings is a great game. I, I've had a lot of fun playing Wrath of Kings, and it's um, I like it for its simplicity. Right, it's, it's got a lot. That, of... It's not that simple. I think there's just enough for me to keep to be kept interested, kind of. I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really like the fact that you basically it's individual models, but around the leaders you can move do alpha strikes with like five plus people. I think that's like great idea. Yeah, I gave a demo of it to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. The way I described it to him, he was coming from Warhammer Fantasy and Flames of War and everything. Um, and the way I described it to him is imagine having, imagine, imagine being able to form your squads and reform them every time you activate a squad through the game. So you don't have to think about, you know, you're not buying the War Machine six or eight models. You're not buying the five Space Marines. Imagine if, you know, two of those Space Marines die, but the other Space Marines are nearby, so you still have a squad of five. And uh, that really, you know, that description really caught for him. The fact that your leader is basically just issuing commands to this area around them. That's a great idea. So, and I also like the one dice roll. Mm. You know the uh, the like a Cedros. <laughs> what against and it's not so much about having a single dice. It's not a single dice roll. It's a one dice roll, right? You you have this damage table. I love that idea of the variable damage table. Everybody carries their own table of how they take damage, and you're just rolling the same mechanic against it. It's unique. It's not something I would particularly caught my eye, but it's unique and it works. I think it makes it really easy to balance. You balance internally. Mm. You know? I actually seen some uh, minute. Uh, uh, what was that? Uh, the, the pig faction. Um, the well, you pig- got it right. You could just leave it at that. The pigs. Yeah. There's <laughs> like uh, some Technus. female characters there which are not in the Kickstarter, which I've seen concept art of. Yeah, it's the. Uh, there's. There's. So. Wrath of Kings is releasing. Cool Mini or Not doesn't just launch and release. They're actually expanding their game, just like they do Dark Age, and they're going to be bringing out new models. Now, when does that come out? I have no idea. And that was the big topic of conversation last night at game night for me. Another problem with certain games is, uh, you know, it's kind of distribution in UK is mm, doesn't really... I feel you, Andre. I play Guild Ball. <laughs> I, am, I, well, I, do I have the same problem with Guild Ball because Guild Ball doesn't really Guild Ball doesn't really do anything with any of the big distributors or anything. That's the thing. You mean worldwide or over there? I thought Element Games was a big distributor over there. Well, Element Games, it's they're not distributor; they're, they're retailer, aren't they? Uh, my understanding was they done they did both. I didn't I didn't know that actually. Mm. Yeah, they are the distributor for all the Steamforge stuff. So they're di- they are the distributor for Guild Ball and for Infamy, whenever Infamy launches. Ah, but that's not that's just two games, you know. That's yeah, I, it could be. I, I thought that they actually were a full blown distributor. No, well there's as some really big distributors like let's say Simple Miniatures or Simple well, Miniatures. 
So, and maybe the information I got, I mean, I got information from some game developers over there in the UK, but one of the things I found interesting, they were talking about um, one of the worries they had about distributing their game to the US, and it was referred to as this could also be the, the concern that the Guild Bowl guys have, is a, according to the source, which again, take it, you know, fourth-hand knowledge here, in the UK, the majority of the distributors or the majority of the distribution is done on a three to 10 number, right? Volume Mm -hmm. of each SKU going to individual game stores where the majority of the distribution to the distributors in the U S is a one to 5,000 volume per SKU. And a lot of the smaller companies like a GCT or a uh, not even so much, but but Spartan a little bit, and and um, you know Guild Guild Ball, the Steamforge guys. That the whole idea of needing to ramp up a line to sell to two distributors who very realistically could say, "I want ten thousand of each of your SKU or five thousand of each of your SKU," as opposed to "I want twenty or a hundred, is terrifying to some of these guys. Mm-hmm. And they just don't know how to handle that volume. So I, I found that to be a very it's interesting topic. You know, it's business. It's, it's, it would have been extra business, but they're kind of not big enough to actually handle. Right. That's, that's kind of sad. But I also find it interesting that, that's, that the whole theory was in the UK, you're selling, you know, maybe it's 10 game stores across a region that are each bringing in 10 a volume of 10 per SKU, so you're only talking about a distributor distributing 100 per SKU. Yeah, I mean... And that and that, that is the viable kind of rolling business over there. I, part, part of the problem, I think, for that is the fact that we don't really have independent retailers anyway. So therefore, when you're looking at each of the, you know, I mean, London, for example... You know, okay, I was doing I was doing some things the other day. There's, there's some politics going on at the moment to do with uh, the different parts of the UK. So for, for those listening, the UK comprises of England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. I had to explain that to some people the other day. It was great. They didn't understand it. <laughs> it's quite simple. <laughs> these, these, they're essentially equal to your states. Right. Our country is equal to your states, and the UK is equal to the US in terms of how it's conjoined. Yep. So we call them countries, you'd call them states. It's simple as that. Um, and the funny thing is, um, we looked into this, and this so just a random bit of knowledge for you guys. The um, population of Wales and Scotland combined is equal to the population of London alone. <laughs> so what we call two entire countries, when you put them together, is equal to, is equal to a city. city. Yep. In this, in this capital city that's co- that in 2014 had, uh, I think it was over 8 million peak population, we have, to my knowledge, two, maybe three game stores. That's scary. Eight to me, that's people. scary. Eight million people. Three stores at most. We've got Leisure Games, we've got Dark Sphere, and if you count it, we've got uh, Orcs Nest in, in Central London. I was, I was waiting for you to say Orcs Nest. What's frightening to me is, is I saw Orcs Nest um, when I was on one of my trips over there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I can I can mention Orcs Nest to any gamer who is British and has been through London, and they're like, 
Oh yeah, I know that store. I I challenge people to name a gaming store in Manhattan. <laughs> and that is that that is not the city, that's the borough. That's like one part of that's like me saying to you know, talking about Manhattan in relation to New York City is like me saying to you, name a gaming store in Covent Garden. <laughs> right? 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 You know. Uh. Uh, I, you know, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, name so, a gaming store in Trafalgar. Uh. <laughs> exactly. So when there are so few actual stores in the entire country, and if each one is only taking a few orders every so often, then that means they're going to be ramped up for not much in production at all because they don't need to. Now, what's crazy to me is when you look at the influence and the apparent volume of gamers in the UK. Mm. I, do you know what I mean by that? I think so. So, it, uh, Malifa. Yeah. I think I would argue, and again, this is it, it may be a very bad argument because I don't know the numbers, but I would argue that with Malifa listening to the press reading online, the most popular area for Malifa right now is in the UK. Probably has the largest bulk of players, the most active scene possibly in the world. But is that because it's so condensed into a small country or is there really, you know, an equal number in the hundreds as there is everywhere else in the world and everybody else is just spread out, which comes back to that same condensed type of thing. Yeah. They regularly play Malifaux in Dark Sphere, but there's nothing in leisure games, not anymore. So when you say regularly play, though, I mean, how many people are showing up? I know you guys do a lot in clubs. If you go out for a Malifaux night, how many guys do you not guys, but how many players do you have on a normal night out, either in a game or in a club? I'm a wrong person Mal- to ask Bill. Same. Um, <laughs> I rarely go to stores now because it's just too awkward for me to get to them, to be honest. Um, but from what I've seen, um, whenever I've been to, I mean, I said um, Dark Sphere is what is a bit is one of the big stores in London. And whenever I go there, because it's actually convenient, it's about ten minutes walk from my workplace. That's quite good. Um, and okay, we're going to come back to this because I still have a question for you there. But go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and um, so occasionally I've stopped off there on the way back from on the way back from work just to pick up a couple of supplies. And there seems to be a wide range of people playing all sorts of games. And I probably I'm overheat. No, I'm, I'm I have yet to see one play Malifaux. Okay. I've heard about three people talking about it. So three. And that's it. Out of about 15 people. Like I have this, I, specifically around Malifaux, because it, it interests me and I still have a lot of friends that play. I have this discussion about the moving meta and the moving game scene with um, a couple of my friends in the U.S. Uh, Adam uh, Peregrine Falcon is one of the guys. And Adam, you know, I, I've been out on his game night. So I was, I was lucky enough earlier this summer when I was up visiting um, the the area where he lives, I went out to one of their game nights, which was fantastic because it's, as I understand, and as I've experienced, it's very British-like game night. They actually game in a bar. <laughs> so, so you know, that, and for Americans, that's just odd. But there was... quite odd over here as well, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. I actually was able to get a couple of games. My The one trip I went over in a... Um, I, I mean, it was a pub, but it was like the upstairs of a pub. Mm-hmm. So the bar and everything was downstairs, and then they let the tables go over upstairs, which you can – it's almost impossible to get that done here. 
Um, but so he was talking about the fact his scene, I think, is eight to ten people on average that come out and play. And then his local area, local being, so you know. So when we say that, we're looking at four to five games. Four to five games, rolling at a time, multiple through the night. Yeah. Now, his local area, quote-unquote driving, local local in quotes, is if you then extend that out to, you know, a two-hour driving range, which in the U.S. Is, is, is long, but it's not unheard of or huge, right? That's a weekend, hey, let's pop up and all do a joint convention, you probably have four four communities that are about that size. Yeah. Right? So you got about 30 to 35 people playing regularly, weekly, a couple of games a night. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's pretty average there. Like, where I say my scene died, we went from an average of four to six games going at a time, so eight to 12 people playing a week, Tuesday nights, to I rarely see a Malifaux game played in our local store anymore. Now, one of the stores locally that I go to to play Guild Ball, when I go out there on their Wednesday night gaming, there's usually two two Malifaux games going on and people sitting around. So it, Guild Ball is a great example. Like, I'm, I'm working on building the Guild Ball community. Um, we only have maybe three or four people that are coming out to play right now, and not everybody plays regularly every week at my store. But if I go an hour away, which is, again, I can drive that after work, I'm almost guaranteed to get a game with at least two to three other people. Yeah. So, and then when we did our demo event, I had 20 people show up. That's good. So, so that came out really well. Yeah. I mean, so it's a growing community. Now I had quite a bit of reach. Now let me go back. Okay. You made two comments back to back Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping I'm not the only one that saw this and I'm going to stare at the ceiling on the video. So that, so you said, it's not very convenient or not very easy for me to get out to game. And then you said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I stroll 10 minutes away after work some days to go into a gaming store. Okay, now I'm really confused now. Okay. Um, okay so... <sighs> you live in London. You said no, there's three gaming stores. No, I don't, I don't live in London. I live in Hertfordshire, outside London. In order for me to get to my office, it involves a two to two and a half hour train and uh, overground and underground commute Uh 40 minutes walking Uh I don't want to carry models all that way okay that makes sense that makes sense so I could do if I was to do it I could take them to work and then carry them from work across Westminster and go to Darkstone and have some games but it's just it's too much of a hassle for me to do that and um, it's and I know this is an alien concept to Americans but a lot of people in London um, still have similar opinions to me. I don't drive. I've never learned to drive. I've never seen the need to. I know people in New York that are in the same thing, right? And yeah. and heavy, you know, they don't own a car. They've never driven. Everything's so, taxi. If I, was or... able to, if I had a car and I was able to drive, then that would be a lot easier. I mean, there are places that are literally, if I had a car, they are 20 minutes drive from me. And there are clubs and stores available, just 20 minutes drive. Because I don't have to rely on public transport, and the public transport in the UK is awful. You need better friends, is what you need. Yeah, but that means I have to actually talk to people. Aren't you in London? Pardon? Uh, Andre, where are you in compared to London? I'm northwest. Not? Okay. Did you say not west as in east, or you're out west? Northwest. (laughs) Northwest. 
How close are you to other? Like, where are gaming clubs and where are the things in relation to you? Are you in a? You're not in a rural area either, are you? Um, kind of ruralish. Um, that's half an hour on the bus I can get to leisure games, which is my LSD. Where, you, where my friends are. <laughs> so, do you also not? You don't drive either. No. Man, I need to send you guys like like driver's ed manuals or something. <laughs> Well, parking is a problem. <laughs> that is true. I, I'm not sending you parking manuals. I'm sending you driving manuals. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, so really for you two, the problem with getting out and gaming regularly is transportation. Yeah. I mean, there is a um, gaming club that is literally download for me. It's 25 minutes walk, but they only play 40k. I've uh. tried to get them invo- interested in other games. And they're just like, no, our attitude is this is the game we play. We have no interest whatsoever. They like, you can you can come along, you can bring enough stuff for demo games, the works, everything. We have no interest. It's yeah. nothing against you. It's nothing against the game. It's just this is what we like. We're comfortable, and we don't want to change. Well, I'm like, well, that's fine. I'm not going to hold that against you, but it's annoying. <laughs> well, I have, we have Titans here, which is right next to Leisure Games. And they're like, very and as well, aren't they? From them, and. Um, the thing is, they used to play Malifaux at one mm. point. Not anymore, though. They didn't survive the transition to second yeah. edition. Well, uh, like, I, I've heard over and over, even from other parts of the U.S., I, I am blessed to live in an area that has a lot of gaming. But then when I hear, and, and you guys aren't the only ones. You're the primary ones that I hear from. But I, I, I hear other people comment um, in the UK about having difficulty getting out or they go to the club, but it's only once a week and it's the structured club events, whatever. You have to do all the scheduling. I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with space because I've also had discussions about the benefits of a 2 by 2 versus a 3 by 3 board as opposed to a 6 by 4 you know, not having the space to play. So so I kind of get all that. In my area, I do drive. I have taken driver's ed. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I can throw my stuff in the car, and, yeah, we play primarily at game stores. I'm 20 minutes from the game store I play at. And if I drive five minutes into town in the other direction, there's the game store I don't play at. Just because I've never gone over there, it's a smaller store, it's mostly trains and hobbies, but they do have people that game there. Um, and then I'm in this weird situation where, you know, I've sat around and gone, okay, I have one group that wants to do board games, so I go to my store and I play board games with them on a Thursday. I can go out Tuesday, and that's the one store. If I want to go play with another group of friends, I have to drive an hour. And it's a pain in the ass drive, but it's an hour away. And I'm actually driving past two other game stores to get to that store. Right. <laughs> and then if I go in another direction, uh, you know, you talk about a rural area. Um, my buddy Ben, who's just getting into Guild Ball, lives, he, he lives in farm country. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's in the, populated area but they have nothing down there but farms like when i come back from his house i buy hand churned ice cream because i can get it down there and they have two game stores in his little town now they just opened but you know it's and it's a 10 minute drive for him to get to either store (coughs) so you know we we have a lot of access to being able to game so then for us it becomes we want to play you know 
in London we technically have two stores. I don't count dogs now because they don't do miniatures anymore. <laughs> it's just role playing mainly. Now, so we have two, and that, that little farm village has two as well. I think part What's of it, the though, population of that village? <laughs> Not 8 million, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean. I think part of that, I think there's something to do with an attitude behind the whole thing. Because, <laughs> likewise, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's an entitlement issue or just, I don't know, there's something about it that I find it very interesting. Uh-huh. Because you hear about how in America people will travel for six to eight hours to go somewhere. And that, I mean, you know, I mean, I've heard of people who will travel as in a, in a car four hours just to get to the office. And I've heard that as well. I'll tell you that's not regular. I would say the normal commute. Yeah, the normal commute for Americans is probably. Now, the sad thing is, this is a normal commute. The normal acceptable commute, or the acceptable commute, I think for most people is is like an hour and a half or below. But that's still the idea of an hour and a half in a car. I work with people who consider twenty minutes a long journey. Right. And I think this is part of it. We're kind of like, you know, even though we don't have game stores on our doorstep, and we haven't had them for at least 20, maybe 30 years, we still seem to think that we should. And that's fair. Right. And so as a result of that, it's almost like there's this attitude that goes, well, even though I want to game, even though I want to spend time with my friends and socialize and have a drink with some pretzels and play a game of 40k or whatever... And I want, and I want to do this. I have this option to me. Yes, I have to compromise a little bit by traveling a bit further. Or in some cases, you can meet loads of people. I know a lot. Um, most people in my area, they, they, I tell them I don't drive, and they're like, "Oh my god, why don't you drive?" <laughs> and you know, and, and so they can do this, and they, they it's twenty minutes, and you're there, and you have these places, all these people, and you have a great time. They say, "Oh yeah, but you know, it should be in my back garden." You know, I can do it, but I'm going to choose not to. Don't they really say, golly, you're daft? I could could game in my garden? Did I use enough Britishisms in there? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Audrey, let me answer your question. Um, That little country town, Culpeper, Virginia, um, the county that the town is in has a population of 48,000. Not the city. <laughs> Culpeper City has a population of 17,000. Two game stores. How many games workshops, I wonder, then? None. Whereas that's the thing. London has at least one. Right. So it definitely isn't. But I think I, I, it what used is it one? This is... I don't know, but it used to, I mean, it used to have loads. I know a number of them shut down, but I don't know how many, so I don't know how many. I'm only familiar with one, but I'm sure there are a lot more. Port Road, I think the one in Covent Garden is still there. Uh, there's one in, uh, um, Bromley? So this is the thing, so this is where but, the numbers... But Games Workshop being everywhere is why so many people play the GW, Well, and, yes. and it's a local, I mean, it's, it's your local game company, Right. Although that's kind of amusing too, because that's the Games Workshop model of putting these stores out, and I can't knock that. But when you look at the companies that are 
they're not at the same size, but they're rivaling the same size. You know, a Fantasy Flight Games with their X-Wing game, uh, Privateer Press. <clears throat> when so, I go to Seattle... Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, can you really sort of put it on the same level Games Workshop as... A, as because they don't really do miniatures Fantasy Flight, do they? X-Wing? Yeah. Okay, um, X-Wing, maybe Imperial Assault as well, but other than that, they, they, do, some, they do some board games with miniatures, but... Because, frankly speaking, I mean, Games Workshop is kind of saying they're like, like the big, the biggest thing out there. But Fantasy Flight has actually overtaken them now. Well, so on a game by game basis, yeah, on a game by game basis, X Wing overtook. I don't know if they overtook 40k, but they definitely blew away Fantasy, and I think they were edging 40k. I don't remember if they were number two or number three, but X Wing was one of the top two or top three most-selling miniature games. Now, I'm not sure about specific separate games, but overall, as a company, the turnover is now bigger than that of Games Workshop. And since Games Workshop has a very tiny profit compared to the turnover, Fantasy Flight and Ever have has a much larger one. And also... Also, Games Workshop have been shrinking recently, and Fantasy Flight has just been going up, 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 up. So, right. But at the same time, you also have to remember that there's an awful lot of things, at least in regards to GW, that you're not going to hear about. Because despite what, despite what actually is the case, they're going to keep saying that we're doing amazingly, we're, you know, we're still the top, we're still the number one company. I, I mean, here's... So... God, this goes all the way back to 2011. The uh, 2011 revenue for Fantasy Flight Games, so 2011 was before the launch of, either right at the beginning or before the launch of um, of X-Wing, and they were half the size of GW's revenue. They were $21.9 million. And I think at the same time, well, hold on. Uh, I remember games- the recent one, the last one, they, they overtook Games Workshop. Yeah. Um... 2011 revenue for, I'm sorry, they they were a quarter, uh, and then you have to do the 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 1.6 or whatever it was. So try 2014. So, so call it a bit below. Um, the problem is it's really hard because Fantasy Flight is private. It's really hard to find their revenue for later years. Oh. But, well, trust me, I saw, I think it's Bell of Lost Souls who published it. I, don't, I know you don't like them. But, um, if it's on there, it must be real. <laughs> yeah, and they actually, they're paying real attention to that sort of thing. And, yeah, Fantasy Flight overtook Games Workshop. So, I mean, so... Bigger I mean, revenue. To your question then, Andre, yes, Fantasy Flight, even though they do more, they don't do just miniature games... If they've overtaken the revenue of GW, then yes, they are as big or bigger than GW. Right? And with that, they have a game center, so they have a Warhammer World-esque game center, but they don't have... I can't go to a Fantasy Flight Games store. Mm. Right? Um, I can't go to a Privateer Press store. As a matter of fact, there's not even a Privateer Press world. You know, I could show up and knock on their office door and they'll tell me to get lost. You could do that. 
Don't you uh, know who I am? <laughs> another Kickstarter, which I was really tempted to do, but didn't, and I'm kind of don't mind that because I can, because I can still get miniatures, is uh, uh, Warzone Resurrection. I, for a long time, I've thought, what attracts me to this game so much? And now I think I realized it. This game is for people who like second edition 40k. Okay. <laughs> you know what, but I hear there's a viable market for, for games that are similar to old GW games. I mean, I hear there's one that's very similar to uh, Necromunda. A very campaign-based sci-fi game. I wasn't thinking down that road, but I was thinking the fact that Mantic are currently making it in by doing something very similar. Oh, oh, okay. Well, no, they're not... No, <laughs> I know it's what you mean. similar I, I, in I, terms I of setting. They have, like, space dwarfs and space skaven. No, I don't mean that. I mean uh, Kings of War. Uh, uh, it's being ad- advertised uh, as, it's, you know... It's, Speaking you of you don't it's, like Age of Sigma. Richie, you know what I have the second edition Kings of War rulebook. Okay. No, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're advertising it as if you don't like Age of Sigma, come play our game. It's what Warhammer should have been. But I think I, so. I think that's smart, though. Oh, absolutely. Because Speaking of which, that, that rulebook sold yeah. out. They're doing Sick. like second printing. It's sold out like this, you know. Because they had a fantastic marketing campaign. You, I cannot afford the marketing. Well, thing. Games Workshop kind of helped them. <laughs> exactly, that's what they capitalized on. That. Considering they, they, Ronnie's yeah. job before starting Mantic was at Games Workshop, I would say they helped him a lot. Huh? Right? Like, the best thing that ever happened to Mantic Games was Ronnie being let go or leaving GW. Well, that. because that's how they got founded. But, you know. Yes, there's definitely one game that's very much like Necromanda, but as, 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 as a person I know who describes this, like Necromanda, uh, sure. but not shit. Right, but not shit. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, what games is this? Seriously, because I, I lost you there. And, and we are not going to get back into that conversation. <laughs> We've been down that road before. Yeah, you're going to leave me hanging now, are you? You know what game it is. I don't. It's flow. What? First law override. Oh, is that one? <laughs> no, seriously, I know there's a game which is basically identical to Mordheim. Oh, Frostgrave. No, no, it's um, King, uh, uh, Empire of the Dead. Oh. It's basically Mordheim. Okay. So let me ask you, have you guys looked at the Osprey games? Things like Frostgrave? Not particularly. I'm aware of, but I haven't... I like the plastic uh, mercenaries kit they have. It's just men-at-arms. Really good. I, I forgot who I was talking to. I, I did. I, I, I should punch myself. <laughs> so what, it, what intrigues me about things like Frostgrave, and, and Richie, this is probably way up your alley, not so much Andre up yours, because it's, it's the fact you that... You just tell me up yours. No, no, yes, I did say up yours, <laughs> not exactly like that. Not it, that this is not up your alley. Um, <laughs> Os- Osprey is producing... This is like game- a carry-on gag. <laughs> Osprey is producing game rules in absence of miniatures. Yes. Frostgrave, even though there is a line, Frostgrave is like that. And they actually have a whole line of games. Mm-hmm. 
So from a game playing standpoint, and this is why I say, Andre, there's no miniatures there, right? So it's sort of like all the companies that produce miniatures for so long without a game. This is the opposite, and Osprey is is making some money off of this. And this is something that I personally am looking at with a lot of interest at the moment. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I would hope so. Mm. Especially after... Um, one of the reasons I wasn't at the moment was because you had... Um, it was a game. I can't remember what it's called. It's, uh, I can't remember what it's called. But they'd recently announced it, and it looked like it was going to be a very cyberpunky skirmish game. And it's just been revealed that it's actually modern-day combat, not future combat. Oh. So I'm like, oh, so that means that's, that slot, as it were, may it's... not be taken. Right. <laughs> it's still open. Hold on. First grade does have miniatures. The plastic kids and the wizards... Yeah, I, I, my understanding was they didn't actually create the, it's not their miniatures, they, um, really? they're licensing yeah. out. Okay. And it's actually part of their actual ethos that if you want to use a model, use it. Right. You know, unlike things like, you know, where every other game, Finally, they've, have, they've always got they a proxy. Richie, hmm? Richie, they sell Frostgrave books and Waterstones. That's not bad. Because Gary that told says, me, Gary works in Waterstones, and so, uh, that's I a big bookstore. I don't know if we have it in the USB, yeah. it's, it's okay. a big bookstore. It's, it's okay. you know, the bookstore in the UK. Um, that says a lot about the reach of Osprey Publishing. That's oh, yeah. A lot about it. There's a zombie side there as well. <laughs> I find it interesting that um looks like Osprey under their game section, the war game section, is actually starting to split out a couple of the more popular war games. So they have um on their website they have all these sort of cheaper books, the uh, paperback and hardcover books that you can buy so you can get um on the Seven Seas and Heroes, Villains, and Fiends of Gods and Mortals. Um, the one that I've heard in the past, Inner Majesty's Name. But then um, Frostgrave used to be in this set. And that Frostgrave now has its own section on their website dedicated to just Frostgrave. Wow. With, the, uh, with sort of the upcoming expansions to the game. Uh, same thing for uh, Fields of Glory and Bolt Action have their own sections, but used to be part of the Osprey War Games line. I thought Bolt Action was Warlord. Yeah. Uh, Bolt Action? Um, I'm looking at it on the Osprey site. That's unusual. So maybe they're licensing it or maybe. reselling it, but... Um, or maybe the maybe the rules. See, this is sort of like the what I was just talking about with miniatures. Yeah. Maybe the rules for bolt action were always put out by Osprey. That's probably yeah. Um, and it, and it says Osprey and Warlord on the cover of the book, but the models are actually being handled by Warlord. Yeah, that's probably yeah. <clears throat> so. Okay, we kind of exhausted the Kickstarter subject, don't we? Oh, I thought we left Kickstarter a while ago. Yeah. Well, I was just talking about some of those which I was thinking I know, of Andre. You want to you talk about your latest adventures in First Law Override, don't you? <laughs> Shouldn't make me laugh. <laughs> He's not amused. This 
video is really working out well. Oh, I can yeah. see the dirty looks he's given us. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, it's very different when you can actually see each other, isn't it? <laughs> Before, I just assumed you were kind of sitting there quiet, Andre. Now I can see you're shooting <laughs> daggers at us. This is way more fun. <laughs> Right, um, just to finish things off, just little kind of, I was planning a little news section for awesome. just what recently been kind of interesting you, like new Kickstarters, new things coming out, just recent purchases, kind of. I thought well, we left the Kickstarter think... subject. Oh, I suppose, but just... <laughs> So what Just news do you have? things that interest you, Richie, that includes you as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's your idea, you start off and give us an example. Okay, um, um, uh, you heard of uh, Drop Zone Commander. Mm-hmm. They're now release doing, I think they're doing it through a Kickstarter, if I'm not mistaken. It's called Drop Fleet Commander, which is going to be a, basically a Starship game. But oh. it won't be in deep space, it'll be over planet. And from what I heard about the rules, it r- interests me a lot. And what's different between that and Drop Zone Commander? Because Drop Zone Commander had lots of what looks like spaceships. No. They have dropships. Dropships and uh, vehicles. Right. It's like an epic level game. Okay, the interesting thing because they look like... I've always assumed they were spaceships. No, they're, they're dropships. It's something you drop from a spaceship onto through onto the group mm-hmm. pla- planet. Uh, is it going to be a different scale? Um, are they okay, in- let's can put you it play this together? way. Richie, remember they had like a huge spaceship? Yes, it in was. Absolute... It was about ten meters what long? Yeah, yeah look, basically, look it was, that, that spaceship. It had it. It had like. Compared to dropships, if the dropships are the actual right. scale, that so spaceship houses lots of... These two games will not be compatible. They will not be on the same scale no. as each other. Right. So this is orbital combat, so this is going to be more of a co- in competition with um, Halo Fleet Battles or mm. um, Firestorm Armada. So just... Uh, sorry, I know I'm going over the same circle, I'm just trying to get it straight in my head. So um, Drop Zone Commander is akin to X-Wing... Epic. This is akin to Armada. No, no, I think Andre's Andre's accurate. It's more, it's, it's it's akin to Epic. So when I've seen Drops on Commander played, yeah, they're ships, but usually the board is a city. No, no, no. I mean, big, I mean, the tall scale, buildings. The scale oh, oh, yeah. I can't speak to that. Okay, let's put it this way: Drop Fleet Commander is like fifty to hundred times bigger. Okay. <laughs> because remember that big ship. That big ship is actually the smallest ship in the. And they actually put the real drop. Remember, it was like they had like lots of little drop ships on that huge ship. Mm. Yeah, and that's the smallest ship you can get in the game. Oh, wow. It's like escort ship. It's not like one of the. It's not a cruiser so or a this, big so battle. This has, this has piqued your interest, is this? Ha- yeah, uh, why, from why other... this instead of Drop Zone Commander? That's a good question. Drop Zone Commander is kind of interesting game. It's just a small vehicle game, but I used to be really into Battlefleet Gothic, and finally, funnily enough, the guy who did Battlefleet Gothic is actually part doing this. Okay. Now, <laughs> do you play? 
Have you played X-Wing or Armada? No. How come? I don't like pre-painted miniatures. Fair. And Star Wars Armada is a board game. How do you figure? I'm confused. How is it a board game more than Battlefleet Gothic? Sorry, what Armada are you talking about? Star Wars Armada. Oh, sorry, I, th- I thought there's a... No, uh, uh, sorry, not... I, I'm mistaken with the Star Wars, Star Wars game. Yeah, well, I'm talking about the Space Fleet games. Um, I don't know, even though I do like Star Wars, this kind of uh, thing which Fantasy Flight put out, these pre-painted miniatures, and doesn't really grab me. That's fair. How about Fire... If So, you played BFG, what about Fire... Did you say you played Firestorm Armada? No. No, why not? I don't know. It it didn't grab me that much, and also I didn't particularly like miniatures because in the uh, drop fleet, uh, drop fleet commander, I absolutely love the human craft. Those blew me away. Now, what do you have? You looked at Halo, uh, Halo fleet. I up? did look. Uh, first of all, I'm not a big fan of Halo. I really like the ships which are in that game, but I sort of looked at the game and it didn't particularly interest me as a game. But in this one, there's some certain concept about this game. I, I there was there's no game uh, demo or anything like that. But they were just talking about concept and it in one of the I think it was uh, one of Beasts of War uh, shows and it got me hooked. I, I'm seriously considering getting this. So what are the concepts on the game that you liked? And and I'm intrigued because, you know, you mentioned BF, uh, so Battlefleet Gothic really isn't, I mean, you could get it, but it's not a mainstream game right now. But okay. there are three, four other mainstream Speaking of which, if for people who like Battlefleet Gothic, there is a game which is very similar to it. It's called uh, Dystopian Wars. Even though it's not a spaceship game, it's right, like and a, that's on right. And and, and but rule-wise, it's basically Battlefleet Gothic. But in 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 as I understand, it's kind of a mashup between Battlefleet Gothic and because Dystopian Wars, if I understand, is air, sea, and land. Well, I'm not sure about land, but it's always the sea part which interested me, and that's what looks feels like Battlefield Gothic. I'm right. not sure about air element. I'll probably add air element to the sea. I'm not interested in the land. I don't like land vehicles at all. Okay, but I mean, I guess where I'm going is there's four other space battle games out there that are all mainstream, right? You have Halo, the the Halo fleet battles. You have Star Wars Armada, which is very much big ship. Uh, you know, capital ship combat. You have X-Wing, which is very much dogfighting. And then you have uh, Firestorm Armada, which is still out there, which, again, is, is sort of fleet fleet battle. I don't want to say capital ships, but it's that type of Armada-sized controlling and predicting where things are going. So with those four games out there, it, it, it does make me wonder, what are the thing? what is new being brought to the table by drop fleet. First of all, they introduced an interesting concept. There's, there can really be no fights in deep space. There's no point of them. Okay. Because uh, generally, I mean, you have faster than light travels, supposedly traveling between systems. 
I mean, there's very rarely... Ships not going to meet in deep space. They can only meet when there's place of interest, really. Over a planet, yep. Like planets or maybe space stations or anything like that. That's where... Or a small moon, that's really a space station. <laughs> mm, yeah, something like that. And uh, also, uh, Drop Fleet Commander is not actually played on, like, uh, nebula-type maps. It's pl- the map is actually of, like, of a planet. It's a large map with, like, continents underneath it. Okay. And uh, there's, like, several layers of it. There's um, uh, there's high orbit, low orbit, and the atmosphere. <clears throat> and um, basically what's in the atmosphere is kind of harder to detect. Because, and also there is there are no ranges in there. You can basically shoot as far as anything. Yeah, but that makes all about so the no ranges makes makes complete sense to me. It's the visibility. What's the problem? Because um, you have ships. It's kind of hard to find things. You can sort of know they're there, but not you don't know their location well enough to actually shoot at them, and you have to be certain distance from them so you can uh, basically lock onto them. Okay. Unless, because if you're actually doing some extreme maneuvers or firing all your weapons, that will make you visible to everyone. Hmm. That's kind of cool, where the more you fire, the more visible you become. So if you go all out, everyone will see you, and and they can shoot you from across the table. (laughs) Right. So it's kind of cool. Also, there's the idea of the planetary bombardments. You can basically bomb the thing uh, or send drop fleets to basically capture cities and things. So they're still tying it to a planet. Yeah. You you fight over a planet. Okay. I can see that. And, yeah, like I said, the human craft ships... Uh, we, I absolutely love them. The uh, I forgot what's the parasitic uh, faction they have there. I forgot what it's called. I, I don't know, know Drop Zone Commander very well. I've seen it. I, I will say this: I had heard about it for for quite a while and had never seen it. It is an impressive looking game. I finally saw a couple of, a couple of guys in my local store play, and they're pay, playing with all painted models and everything else. I'm not sure the aesthetic is something I would jump into, but it is an impressive-looking game on the table. That's what I thought as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, also, the, the the other faction I don't like, but uh, there'll be is two the more factions. The, like these sort of cyborgs I'm kind of interested in. The oh, so now I'm going to have to look. Um, so we have UCM, we have the Scourge. Yeah, the Scourge is the parasitic ones. The, okay. PHR... The Shaltari is basically post-human uh, republic or something like that. They're cyborgs. Nice. The Shaltari, I think they're just devils, it's the right? alien race, another alien race, which is kind of... Uh, they're sort of dealing with humans, but they're sort of on their own. They Sometimes they ally with them, sometimes not. But it's the big bad guy there is the Scourge. Ah, uh, okay. And then the Resistance. Resistance? Oh, 
I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about the background of this game. Basically, uh, human, it's the planet in itself is actually Earth. But the Earth is sort of has several mining colonies and now in the other planets as well. They get attacked by the Scourge, which is very parasitic alien race. Oh, oh but before that, before that, there was some, uh, uh, some uh, artificial intelligence came to Earth and tried to warn humans about it. Okay. And, uh, the people actually split up, and some actually that basically tell them humans you have to leave Earth. And basically humanity split up and some actually went with that artificial intelligence to another world. And uh, there was a wars because of that. Because people didn't want them to leave, especially since there's coming dangers from the Scourge. And then the Scourge came and pretty much uh, the humans suffered huge losses and they had to flee. They flee to the mining world. And they basically collapsed the the gates through which they went to reach the earth, so the scourge couldn't follow them. But that means people who remain on Earth couldn't follow them either, so they got cut off. So they're the resistance, so they basically hate the human, the other people who left them. <laughs> and um, okay. now, basically, at the same time, uh, these human colonies, they were trying to build up their military power to try to reclaim Earth. And uh, the also... The post-human, those people who left with artificial intelligence, they came back as cyborgs. They're all cybernetically enhanced, and they... And um, so the people, this uh, normal human faction, they hate the cyborgs because they see them as traitors. Uh, the cyborgs tr treat them as like children who don't know what they're doing. Uh, then there's these resistance who the people remaining on Earth, what, how they fought, and they hate everyone else because they think they're cut off by everyone. Then there's this scourge who is still trying to... Also, the cyborgs that been telling the people, like, don't go back just yet, you're not ready, but they still did it anyway. And then this is the, another alien race who's like a wild card in all this. So there's hmm. sort of quite militant little people <laughs> in exosuits and using jump gates and stuff. Alien There's nothing wrong with a good exosuit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Nothing so wrong it. with a good exosuit. What's the also, newest game on your horizon, on, or, uh, Richie? <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> override? Pretty much override, and that's about it, to be honest. Um, I've been doing a lot of... Uh, preparing for next April because uh, Mr. Marshall is uh, organizing his first attempt at a um, gaming convention <coughs> over in Cardiff. Which... Yeah, let's, let's, let, to be honest, that's not his first attempt. He's run two other conventions before this of, of smaller... Yes, but this is of a, a sizable, more readily available mm. thing. Um... And so, um, more importantly, it's multi-game events. And so me and Tom have got a table or two booked for that for the entire weekend. Nice. So um, fr Friday to Sunday, so we're going to be trying to get lots of demos going and that sort of stuff, trying to get some more attention going for the game. And so 
Uh, I know I, I know technically it's quite a long time between now and April, but I know if I sit in my laurels, nothing can get done at all. <laughs> so that's terrain painting, model painting. Um, we're planning to, you know, to have two whole tables available and four available forces, which between us is a lot of stuff. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> so yeah, so that's currently what I'm doing at the moment. My terrain's pretty much done, which is very good. So now I'm just painting models. And on top of that, um, he's coming to visit, because of course, I mean, he lives in Wales, and he's due to visit, give, me, give me a visit in November, so we're going to be having some actual real games of it. And he's also, he's promised to give me a taste of, of um, Guild Ball, so, so I'll hopefully get my first taste of Guild Ball. <laughs> you, because be I careful, hate, you're going to like it. Maybe, you're going to like it. And because I have a thing that I hate playing with unpainted models, it means the ones I want to use when he visits, I want to make sure they're painted beforehand. Uh-huh. So I've got a deadline of mid-November to do that. Um, that's pretty much the entirety of my gaming news. So I know what that's like. I have, um, we are doing a Halloween party this year, a family Halloween party. So the agreement this year was uh, we would play Super Dungeon Explorer, Von Drax Castle, and uh, since I have never lost a game as console... My wife has determined that I will lose the game. So in a game, so she, you know, we were talking and I said, yeah, we can scale, I know how to scale the game a bit to accommodate more players. So, you know, normally it's five players plus the console, six player game is the large size. We'll go ahead. I know we're having six to seven people over with couples. Yeah. She's now scaled this up to nine heroes. (laughs) <laughs> so, which is three more than my board you, was, huh? They're ganging up on you. Well, they're trying to. I'm still going to win. I, <laughs> I, 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 I literally have no fear on this. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of them are that good. Even my gamer friends that are coming with their wives, it's just there's, it's just going to go too badly for them. I know the game too well, but um, I am, I am, yeah. Well, you wait until after Halloween, and then we'll see how much I'm crying. <laughs> But um, I've been trying to get all my stuff painted because I got on this chibi painting kick with the Super Dungeon Explorer stuff. I am. I've seen the results. They look really good. Thank you. They look really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm, my eyes are getting better and everything. Here's the worst part. So all I have left, I have skeletons left to paint and then one additional box. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm down to, you know, just this one model called a creep this one type of model and uh and then there's just a couple more models left in the box it doesn't look like that much i got everything primed and ready to go and then i started counting it up and i'm like okay so it's it's 18 skeletons so that's 18 models to paint before next uh yeah this where you we're all recording now on friday so i got a week i have one week seven days from today so i got 18 skeletons to paint that should be pretty easy and then there's two more spawning points in the next so there's now we're at 20 models and then there's the new mini boss that's frankenstein that's 21 then there's the elite witch that raises the zombies that's 22 two more zombies 24 six zombies that are slower walker ones that's third god damn it there's 30 models left to paint Okay, this makes me feel quite ashamed of the fact that I'm struggling to get mine done before mid-November. I've got 12. <laughs> Look, yours have to, yeah, well, chibis tend to go quick. I mean, my 18 skeletons are going to be pretty straight, straightforward, right? It's, 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 it's 
couple of layers of white and, and bone. And I will say, painting the chibi stuff. Wow, did I put Andre to sleep? <laughs> I was just about to go. You would think God. about modeling; he would right. be all over this. <laughs> painting the chibi stuff, I've really found it because it's such. You want to have such stark detail and straight lines. It's not as much blending as I have on a normal model. I never model. painted a chibi model ever. Really? But did you ever paint? Did you ever paint to a cartoon? Not an not so much an anime, but a cartoony style, with the really stark. You know, um, when you were doing GW, did you ever do the you know brown pants and you you want it really clean and then the black lined out you know between the pants and the shirt and. Okay, so I, so you're... I very quickly got away from black lining. I hate black lining. So here's what's funny is I'm not black lining these models, but the look that these are supposed to have is closer to those black lined models than not. So the painting it's a really different style, which I've enjoyed kind of adapting my painting style to do this, and it's nice to go back and forth because I'll go to a guild ball model and paint it normally, and then I'll jump over and do one of these chibi models. And, and in fact, I wrote about this on my blog. It's intriguing to me that the way I was able to adapt my thinking to do a decent job on these is I paint them like I normally would with my rudimentary three layers and a wash and everything, and then I go back in and go. The hair is supposed to be, you know, I, I painted blonde hair. It's actually supposed to be yellow. So let me get the two starkest yellows I can and go back over all of my blending. And I'm not trying to blot out my blending, but it's just kind of hardening up every one of the color lines on the model so that it comes out sort of like a like a comic book drawing. Yeah. So. No, no I don't think I ever tried this sort of thing, but... You should try it. It's and I purely say that with no real background in art. It just has been really interesting to me to see how to achieve this other result, and it's not as easy as it looks. No, but the it thing comes. Is, what kind of tempted me in these TP models because they have really large heads. So painting one of those faces would be almost like painting a bust, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, except that. On a bust, you want to put all the skin detail in, and you actually want to obscure a lot of your skin detail on a chibi model. That's not how I would have done it. I would have done all the shadows yep. and make it more 3D. Yeah, there's some... Check out... Um, I, and there's a guy I think does an incredible job, really good painter. Uh, his screen name is Odin's Grandson. He's on the... Uh, oh, speaking of, which, speaking of painting, there is a YouTube channel which I really, really like watching. I'm sure you, Bill, heard of them. Because of them, you still haven't got your... Oh, what's that Kickstarter you got? <laughs> uh, you get it? Oh, the, yeah, the, uh, you're talking about Painting Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely yes. brilliant a YouTube channel. Have you seen it? I haven't. I'm waiting for my video, and now I'm bitter. So until Basically, I get my video, I'm just going to be angry at them. They, they're they doing really, really good YouTube tutorials, and it's something I'm learning from, so that should say something. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, the, the last thing they did, they repainted uh, X-Wing Millennium Falcon. <laughs> they done it actually properly. 
There is some really incredible repaints. I've seen some really incredible repaints of the uh, of the models that come out of um, you know X Wing. Well, painting Buddha did probably the best one I've seen. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Although I don't repaint any of my see, I don't mind the pre-painted stuff. I accept it for sort of what it is. If you sort of select the last Millennium Falcon video, they actually show you how it looks finished, and it's just scary. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I want to uh, have to find that. Well, it's a YouTube channel painting Buddha. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go watch some of their videos now. So. How easy is it to follow then, Andre? Since you've been watching their their videos on YouTube, well, the thing is, with Millennium Falcon, it's kind of difficult because I haven't done this sort of uh, vehicle things. But surprisingly, the best thing which I like the most there is a historical miniature, which well, which is like a seventy mil scale big thing, which is based on either U.S. Civil War or U.S. Revolution or one of those things. Okay. And, uh, yeah, because they actually, it's a larger scale model that shows you how to do faces, and I, I'll probably use the same techniques to do small things, and I absolutely loved it. Also, the Age of Sigma Chaos character, that, that's a really brilliant set of uh, tutorials there as well, very useful. So I'll have to check that out. Probably a little bit more complex for you guys, but... A little bit more. No, no, no. That's a lot. I think by little you meant lot. Like I said, like uh, these guys are better than me, and I'm just following. <laughs> that's, that's just. So okay. So then it's not that easy to to follow what they're doing then to get results, or is it something where the thing is they you you can clearly see everything they're doing, and yeah, it's. But, like, to me, I already found it extremely useful. I already used the things they showed on my Molly, which I just painted. Okay. And, uh, of course, I have really tiny face. I mean, with the recent, the new plastic malafos, their heads are really tiny. So I've been using, like, a visual aid <laughs> to do that thing. But, uh, yeah, basically, it's to do highlights with really watered-down white. That's what it's about. Now, have you heard of this technique? Um, not what I'm posting there, but... So there was a technique I just read about. Uh, one of the locals was using it, where he learned to paint male faces. And what he did, after he painted in the male faces normal, uh, he went into three glazes across the face. Um, he He did a... Here it is. The top third of the face you glaze yellow, the middle third you glaze red, and the bottom third you glaze blue. And, and you do that after you paint the face as normal. Okay, this is um, this is what kind of Rackham did, but I'm not doing anything yellow. The yellow is out of the... <laughs> Thing. The yellow is up. So, so what is that? So, I don't understand what that does. Apparently, it, it other than I, I get that it's shading it and giving you shadow, right? That's why the bottom third is blue. But what? Why do you start with a with a yellow or whatever you do on top, a red in the middle, and then the blue? What What is that doing to the eye? The thing is, I never heard anything about yellow. Okay. Red. What you do with red is um, you add it to a flesh tone. 
and then you do like I wouldn't call it a wash because you apply it in very controlled manner to certain areas, and so a glaze then. Yeah, it's like glaze in the in like in the old oil painting. It's not like just washing no thing with it, yellow and red and blue. Also, okay. it's not like middle of the face. It's like certain areas. Like, for example, if when you're painting shadow on the face and there's a shadow like on the cheek, you put some red in there to actually, it will liven up the color. It'll still be like a flesh tone, but it'll slightly tint it. Okay. It's like that color to the cheeks. And obviously, lower face, you have stubble and shadow. And so that's the stubble and shadow is why you're you doing add, it dark. You mix flesh tone with a bit of gray and, uh, you know, blend it in here. And uh, But the thing is, the highlights, you paint, you use white. Not every white would work for it. It needs to be, like, very oily type, depending. Like, what I'm using is confr- old confrontation paints. I bought the box really, really cheaply. And there's a white in there which I thought was really, really crap before, so I just kept it somewhere because it had basically no covering at all. It's kind of transparent white. Okay. <laughs> but this time it's extremely useful because you can do very transparent highlights using just white. And because it's white, you can you then use glazing over it and blend in the shadows and the so all that's all that's doing is is changing how the light hits across the face, right? No, no. It's Man, uh, I thought it's I had it too. Making it's like so. It's not just one flesh tone and shadow and light. It's like you, if you look at the, I don't know. If, as, well, it's easy for me to say because I'm actually a professional painter. I do landscapes and portraits, and yep. paint. but you don't. <coughs> you don't really... I don't use flesh tone when painting faces in art. That's the thing. And really? this, it's like a little blend of little bits of slightly different color. Uh, so what, you add is color that the to the face. Hmm? You don't use flesh tones? Do you use flesh tones on your models? Yes, obviously. Okay, obvious to you. Right? I mean, you just said you don't well, use no, it. When, no. you... when I paint I my art, do tones. the art, I'm a professional painter. I do landscapes and portraits. No, I get that, Andre. So why I don't, don't you... Use why, on that. why not? Why not? Like, if just you're going to paint a portrait of somebody, why wouldn't you use flesh tones? I just wouldn't. <laughs> it's kind of hard to explain. Okay. <laughs> because the way I see a face, it's not just a flesh tone. It's lots of different colors. You just need to see them. <sighs> now, is the reason you use flesh tone on your models because of the size difference? That's partly the reason, but... Like, look, I'm looking at your face right now. There's, a, like, on the cheeks, I see a red there. <laughs> and there's gray at the bottom. I can see it really well. <laughs> It's very, it's sl- very slight effect, but I, I, when you paint, and you sort of increase that. It, okay. Is, is, is the yellow at the top? Yeah. It, it, well, no, I see yellow on yours <laughs> and very at the highlight. The actual and that's white. where the yellow comes in. And I can actually see purple on your face as well because of very stark contrast. Okay. <clears throat> so you asked where the yellow came in. And that's where it is. I understand now. 
Yeah, I found I haven't tried this yet. I just found I found it very interesting because this guy posted about it on his blog. I go into miniatures from traditional painting. That's well, that's why your miniatures look so much better. Well, that's a reason your miniatures look so much well, better. That's than one of the reasons. But the thing is, what kind of made me notice this in miniatures for the first time was the confrontation miniatures. Is uh, when I saw them, I see how do they do this, and later they they just paint the faces normally with shadow and highlight, but then they say they added transparent layers to it, and I said this is how you're doing it, and yeah, but you know in the tutorials, the Rackham tutorials, they never actually showed you how they did transparent. They just say look, this is after we done the transparent layers, but they never show. Right, and right. from what I understand, a lot of people use used to use oil for that oil paints, and they actually That's try to promote their own paint paint range. <laughs> so, huh. yeah. interesting. Um, another interesting Kickstarter coming out end of this month called Amy Asylum: The Alderney Case. I so far I don't think it's a game. At least I'm not sure right now. I think it's not. It's a range of 45mm miniatures. The concept art was designed by Edouard Guiton. Same guy who did Confrontation and The Wrath of Kings. It's what, called... What's it called again, sorry? Amy Asylum. A-M-Y Asylum. Okay. The Alderney Case. And uh, it's Edouard Guiton basically designed the models. Well the concept art for the models, and it's really kind of freaky, kind of an insane asylum with steampunk kind of thing. So, if the Kickstarter isn't started yet, it'll be oh, end of this month. Okay. Yeah, if you search for Edouard Guiton, and you spell Edouard like he's uh, French, mm-hmm. there's an O, there's a U, there's an R, there's like a Z and seven mm-hmm. P's. <laughs> His website actually has a bunch of the models. These are cool-looking models. Most of them, what you see, do you what do you find his website or? I found his website. Yeah. Yeah, it's, most of the stuff on, is uh, for on. confrontation. Oh no, this is his. He has a website for asylum. Oh, okay, got it. <clears throat> hmm. Oh, this is like an asylum in hell. <laughs> yeah, fresh kind. Oh, you're gonna love this, Richie. You will absolutely. You're gonna love this. This is all you. <laughs> That's a scary thought. It's a 45mm miniature, so they're pretty big. There's like a guy in a gas mask there. There's like a nurse, which is nasty thing. There's also a little girl there somewhere. Yeah, a little girl with her with her head peeled open. There you oh, go. Why can't I find it? Yes. Ah, here we go. Thank you. Thank you for the link, Esper. <coughs> Very interesting. Very. Hello. I hope they turn this into a game. Oh, yes, I've seen this. Yes, I remember this. Now, when you talk about changes, I saw this for a long time. Now, the rest is fairly much more recent. But have either of you looked at or played Kingdom Death Monster? Well, like is, I said, I have the Phoenix, the Watcher, three uh, Kingsmen, and uh, quite a few armor kits for like fifteen pounds. 
And you've you've gotten them, right? Did you get yeah. them yet? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the models? Uh, I'm kind of split. The monsters are a bit nasty. The phoenix has like three human hands coming out of his ass. Yes. Okay. That but what did you think of the quality of the for for a quality yeah. is very good. It's disturbing. The quality is very good, but uh, kind of the concept, I kind of not sure. I'll probably sell my Phoenix. Okay. The thing is, what actually happened? I kind of I decided to build it, and then realized I didn't really like it. So I told David, you know, I thought you probably have problems building this thing. It's kind of complicated to build. Do you want, you know, change uh, yours for mine? And he goes, what? You really want to do this? <laughs> because he's kind of it's hard for him to put these complicated kids together so i'm just gonna you know <clears throat> build all my stuff and give it to him and build his stuff as well <clears throat> yeah this is i mean this game you talk about the people that are still looking at getting in after the kickstarter there is two people who have their game up their entire pledges from the kickstarter on ebay right now one of them is a thousand dollars the other one's six hundred and fifteen dollars Now, yeah. I will say this. I've played the game. And? It's really enjoyable. I, I It's disturbing. Are you a masochist? Yeah. The content is disturbing. Now, it was... I, you know what? We went through... So, so the way the game plays out is you start, and after you flip through the book, you, um, you, know, you sort of get this the beginning of the game, and it's four characters, um... You wake up at the very beginning. You basically are coming awake in this world of darkness, and it introduces you very quickly. Well, that I know. Like, like, well, but when I say wake up, you're waking up, and you know how to function normally, right? You, after one of the other people that wakes up with you gets torn apart by a creature, you dig in the ground, the rock of the ground, to dig out a shard of rock to use as a knife and lose your mind and start attacking. And that's where the game opens, is you wake up, somebody else wakes up, this lion creature with human-like hands jumps into the middle of you and tears your friend to pieces. The four of you are left, go. <laughs> and you set up the board, and it's like, um, okay. And now, when we played, we proceeded to, as we learned the first steps of the game, we actually beat the first lion, and then we did two other hunts, and did I mean nobody died? We didn't lose. We didn't, we didn't lose any of our characters to the actual okay. the actual creatures themselves. Now whether that was good rolls, good di good uh, cards, or it seemed like we weren't playing incorrectly. John had actually played several games before on his own, but whatever it was, we we came out very very much intact. Uh, now there was plenty of moments. Um. In fact, we're going to be reviewing this on Gamers Lounge at some point. There's plenty of moments that were amusing. Um, you know, one example, uh, in the very first opening combat, and you're fighting this lion, right? It's a white lion, and that's actually what the creature is called in the game. Um, he flips a card that basically said, uh, John's character is actually the one that did it, that effectively said you, you grab the mane of the lion in your bare hands and rip it off of his neck. And then you get a you get an item card that's the white lion's mane. And then in a later moment, 
we actually did a critical blow to its nuts and towards junk off. And these are actually in the cards. And it's an item. Oh, yeah, no, we came back with, with, with White Lion, basically, you know, dick and balls. Um, what do you use them for? Uh, in that case, we used it to make love juice to feed to other people in our village so that they would get horny, have sex, and have a baby. Yes, all of this is actually in the game. And and it's an incredibly explicit game. So not a game I would play with my family or people <laughs> under 18. Um, however, the, the way the game was built out was really cool. Now, a couple of amusing things, right? So in the very opening scene, John's character rips the mane off of the lion and then rips the junk off the lion, both with critical blows. We then, after killing the lion, drag the carcass back, discover a village, and you have to put somebody forward to speak to the village. Right to speak to these other humans you've discovered in the darkness. So we were, you know, Dan and I both kind of looked and went, uh, "You're the one that ripped the lion's mane off. You go talk to him. Hey, we're not we're not messing around." So he goes up. He invents language, which is a an event in the game. You invent language at this point, and he realizes that everybody has lanterns in this world with no light. So he builds a pillar of, of light. Okay, cool. And then it says. He needs to, and we don't take a little bit of damage, but it heals up, you know. So then he has to spend a year, each hunt is a year. He has to spend a year staring at this tower of light as he ponders the mystery, mysteries of the universe or whatever. So John swaps out for another character from the village, one of the other villagers. We go out on another hunt. And we kicked the lion's holy ass. I mean, we just stomped this thing. I think maybe two people, three people got hit. So we got very lucky in the hunt. We come back to the village. Everything's good. The worst part that happened is you get sanity. Uh, you get sanity points. You can, you can become insane. But insanity will actually protect you against mental attacks. Okay. So you want to get a point or two of insanity. You want to get a point or two of madness, if you will, because that protects you from the bad stuff. We had a person that went, uh, and then if you get more than three, you are termed insane, which will have certain effects on certain cards. One of the people in our party happened to get 11 points of madness. So she became the crazy girl. So what did we do? We gave an axe and a full set of armor to the crazy girl. Because who better to be out front of all of us? And we put her in the front. So there was that little bit of amusement. Um, on our third hunt, we went out. John's character, his original character that ripped the mane off, is finally back in the hunt with us. And we're bringing one of the other villagers along as our fourth sort of NPC character. And the villager goes up, random roll, but it's happened to be that the villager goes up and touches a statue. And the statue is of this guy. Suddenly... The statue is now of our girl that was with us, and the guy is standing there with all her equipment. Hmm. So at that point in the story, you know, you, you then stop, and you pull a sheet out to make him, and it tells you his stats, and we flip cards because he's demented. So there's actually dimension card, you know, d uh, um, dementia cards, uh, madness cards. So we give him a couple of madnesses, and then, you know, John's like, okay, and at this point, we have to pick a name for him. We have to name him. I said, oh, crazy statue dude. He was like, yeah, but what are we going to name him? I'm like, the crazy statue dude. Like, that. what else are we going to call him? So he became crazy statue dude. 
Uh, John's character, who we had named all the way along, his character was named EIS, Ice. We get into our third combat, and the lion, for whatever reason, kept the way the dice fell, it kept randomly targeting John's character. <laughs> and all the attacks it was doing to him kept knocking him down and doing damage to him, and then he would stand back up, and as soon as, you know, regardless, if he waited like four attacks, the lion would knock him down and then go attack somebody else. As soon as he stood up, the way the dice and the cards rolled, the lion would rush back, attack him, and knock him down. So I started joking, and I and every time he went to stand up, I'd go, just play dead. Lay down and play dead. Just lay down and play dead. Well, we get to the end of the game, and we're like, okay, we got to assign, you know, we got to assign experience and stats and drag it back. And uh, um, John, your character, what was his name? Ice? He's like, no, it's lay down and play dead. <laughs> I have changed his name to lay down and play dead. So I mean it's so it's a nice mix of role playing and, and otherwise. The, the models were beautiful. Worth, you know, actually doing an episode just about it. That's how vast <laughs> it is. One thing I'm wondering I'm hearing a lot of narrative. Does the game lend itself to that, or was that simply just how it was being encouraged through John and The game lends itself to that. So a a great example, like like the when I roll in my character, like this is what happened with John, right? When my character, if my character rolls to hit a monster, mm-hmm. each of the monsters have their own set of specific, not only their actions, their attack actions, because there's an AI deck for the monsters that gets tweaked different way for the different levels of monster. But it also has, when I attack the monster, there's defense cards that come out that say different things. So some of the cards are, uh, like one of them is a trap. And it literally, you know, for the lion it says, it's tricked you, your attack has been foiled, and the lion has flipped around anticipating your attack and grabs you with his strangely human hands. And then the actions on the card are, your character gets knocked down and the lion moves four squares forward carrying your character with him. And then, so that may happen on my attack, right? And that's the defense card that flipped up to tell me what I'm doing to him. And then if that's what happened on my attack, the next card that he may flip up on his attack could be, is, is his AI card. It could be something as simple like, like I was saying, John would get knocked down with one of those, not the trap, but one of the other ones. And then the next AI card that came up would say, attack, you know, in the target priority, turn around and attack whoever has the uh, long-ranged weapon or attack the first threat. Well, if you're knocked down, even if you're laying in front of the critter, you're not a threat because you're not allowed to attack. So he would turn left or right, the creature would, to attack one of the other people who are a threat that are on his flanks. But then other priorities would say, if any characters are knocked down, attack that character and do more damage. Right, so so this narrative, the cards, just in the how the AI goes into the defenses, actually is a bit of a narrative. Mm. Uh, one of them is, you know, you could hit the creature and you hit him in the flanks. Does a little bit of damage, not a big deal. But if you happen to critical the damage on that hit, you hit him in the flanks and actually, and, and the description on the card says, you rip open his entire thigh 
down to the bone, causing damage that's persistent damage, and the monster now is dragging his leg behind him, lower his movement, and keep this card out as persistent damage. That in particular is something that sounds really appealing to me, because so many often it will have, like, say, a critical attack, and it will say, you know, do damage plus bleed, but it will actually go into why, and I really like the sound of that. And so the, these monsters are controlled by this deck, and it's like uh, it's like having a DM, you know. Exactly. Except they're descriptive. Without a DM. Right. Except that they're descriptive. Like the way the uh, the way our crazy girl character went crazy is she happened to be twice the lion roared, and the only attack that hit. Right, it it, it it we it rolled against everybody in the party. We roll each of us, each of the four characters in the party rolls a dice. Three of us resisted the attack and didn't get hit. So it was a really simple thing. Okay, we rolled the dice. However, the roar does mental damage. It makes you mad. Not mad as in angry, but mad as in you know British mad. <laughs> So, you know, that happened twice. The first time he took six points of madness damage, the second time he took five. Like, okay, yeah, basically the lion roared at you twice and you went crazy. So there's, it really does lend, like, you can do, a, you add a little bit yourself, but then the rest of it really lends to, uh, and then, so the whole game is like this. So when you finish a hunt, you return to your village and you're actually your group, like if the three of us are playing, we are playing our village. Mm. So if your character, Richie, dies, when we get back to the village, we don't get, a, we don't get the bonuses for uh, somebody surviving back to the village, but you just grab another villager and go out until our village is decimated. Mm. So that's where I say, like, we brought back, you know, uh, basically love juice from the, uh, which is what the time was called, and you, you feed the love juice to somebody in your village, and we were like, do any of the, our heroes want it? No. Because giving birth in this world is bad. So pick two random, a random male and female, and they're going to have the love juice. And in this case, it so happened that the chick died in birth, and it says, uh, well, actually, what it says is they, um, they find some time alone, and the woman passes away. The male goes a little bit crazy, flip a disorder for him. So that became a joke about the fact that he basically screwed the girl to death. And that's where we added the narrative. But come on now. I mean, how does that not write itself? Yeah. <laughs> right? So, so of course, we he was the one that was procreating with everybody because we figured he's a little crazy now. <laughs> so if he kills multiple women having, you know, having kids with them, the ones that actually have the kids are going to be good to go. <laughs> but you define all this stuff on your village. So the first time we had a death in the village, we had to decide, again, dark, evil world. So the first decision when somebody dies, the first time somebody dies, you have to make a decision. Do you bury them and found a religion and found and discover religion or do you eat them and become a cannibalistic society? Mm. Right? The first time your village has children, do you raise the children? But through, does the whole village raise the children lovingly? In which case you get this bonus, which is an extra survival or do you take all their toys away and let them fend for themselves in the lonely darkness, which means everybody in the future that gets born into your village, even though you're a hard, you know, kind of Spartan village, and everybody in your village, all the, all the characters after that, NPCs and PCs, get plus one strength, mm. you know, and actually are more combative. 
So you get to make all those little choices throughout it as well. So it's very role-playing enabled. Mm. Well, there we go. I think I just reviewed the whole game. Damn. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I've been kept asking you this for a while now. You kept avoiding it. Are you going to get Hunters for Guild Ball? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely I am. I actually like um see I used to I was saying angry ang and then somebody pointed out to me that it's it's just angry. Wow, well, neither one of you because know. when I saw Hunters at first is what I kind of what I expected from Hunter Hill's guild. They're kind of a bit stereotypical. But um then you know sometimes it's just clicks in your head, you know, I know what I'm going to do with them. Because I'm looking at a lot of concept art, which I wasn't sure what to do use for a certain point. Like, maybe use them for Marcus's crew, for for Malifor, eh, maybe not. And then I realized, okay, put two together, okay, this is, if I get Hunter's Guild, this is how I'm going to paint them. And that's it, I already know what I'm going to do, I'm definitely getting them probably. Because they launched at Salute, and I'll be there, and I'll be picking them up the first day. Okay, so I've, I mean, I saw Minx, who's out, but then other than Minx, I really only well, saw Minx two is from seasons. Hunter's Guild. Is, well, she's a union that can play for uh, Hunter's Guild, yeah. Um, I only saw the two pieces of art. Here you go. This is my bad joke about angry, Richie. This is the, um, this is one of the pieces of art for the Hunter's Guild. So anybody else who wants to do this, if you just search for on uh, Google Images, if you search for Hunter's Guild Ball, um, there's two pieces of art. Uh, there's a lot of art that will come up, but two of them specifically. One is a picture of a girl called Egret, and the other one is this guy that has an arrow painted on his head, two swords on his hand, an arrow on his head. and two swords on his back because... Two big-ass blades in your hands is never enough. You need two more as backup. Mm. But with the arrow on his head, he really does look like uh, Last Airbender. Mm, um, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a bad <laughs> It's angry. Now, the thing is, the what I'm thinking of doing with them, there is a Xbox One game called um, uh, Rise, Son of Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's barbarians in it. I've been looking for some concept art of Rise of Son of Rome. There's barbarians in it. Look so brilliant. Let me I think that would work. I think that would work really well with these guys. Yeah, that's how I'm gonna paint them. Yeah, I'm. I like the way the art looks. I'm looking forward to the uh, to see what the play style is. I heard it's something quite unique. Yeah. I have yeah. no idea. You're talking Guild Ball. <laughs> okay. So we've been doing this for three hours now. Yes, indeed. So, so we're going Three of... hours of absolute jazz. You, know, you, you can't get this sort of thing elsewhere. This, this, this is audio gold right here. Not at this price. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think Andre is saying he's done. And I'm sure I hear my wife out there making dinner. So I should probably be done too. Yeah, and it is... If, if the audience is curious, it is quarter past midnight for me and Andre at the moment. Yes, and it is quarter past midnight for me too if I go by your clock. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, Richie, 
you wanna sort of close this down because I wanna quickly chat to Bill after. Okay, you could just say fuck off. No, 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 I need you to end the podcast. You can, you can still listen. You can, you can still end the okay, so I think, I think it's time for us to uh, sign off then. Okay, so thank you all for listening to our um, our fall episode, or as I like to think of it, autumn, because that's the real word. You speak, you know, you, 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 come on, I mean, you know, you claim to speak English, so actually speak the bloody language, come on. <laughs> We do. We'll send teachers over so you can learn it too. What American? <laughs> American should be spoken properly. I, I just want to thank you for calling it American because I thought you referred to all of it as colonial. <laughs> no, no, that's Australian. Oh, I thought that was criminal. <laughs> oh, speaking oh. of colonial, um, Bill, oh, you know when U.S. went independent originally. Uh, which country first acknowledged it as a country? United States. You're assuming that unlike, that I am unlike most Americans and that I actually pay attention in history class. You don't understand, Andre. In America, the only people that need to know American history are immigrants. Okay. But my guess would be France. You're wrong. Is it Russia? It is. Okay. Oh. The only reason I'd say France is because, you know, of the uh, Central Liberty. Um, and the French and American War and L'Enfant Plaza and... Why oh, that... my head that? Okay, so... Anyway, we're doing good night. night. We're doing good night. So, yes, so um, good night for me and you guys. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Yes. Take care, you all. Oh, you